Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In, Hughes, near circle, fires, score. It was only a matter of time, and it hasn't even been close in the first eight minutes of this hockey game. So the Blues will go to work on the Ameren, Missouri power play. Krug turns it over. Shorthanded breakaway, Miller tucks it in and scores. And it has gone to bad to ugly here for the Blues in the second period. This one's over. Tough one tonight for the St. Louis Blues as they're shut out by the Vancouver Canucks by a score of five to nothing. Oh, we got out Took three penalties in the first period, four maybe. I mean, you're on your heels. We got out of there one nothing, so gave up another goal and just sloppy, not very good. That's what it sounded like over the weekend as the St. Louis Blues. Woof. Oh boy, rough one on Friday night for the boys alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. That voice you just heard was Craig Berube, Blues head coach, talking about what went wrong for the team in that one. Alex, what didn't go Everything. wrong oh, for yeah. the team in that one? Outshot 19-3 to in the first period. Outchanced 19-1. to High danger chances. You had zero. The Canucks had seven of them. You were outscored just one to nothing. That was, I guess, a positive technically oh, yeah. from that first period. Unfortunately, the second one went even worse. The dam broke. All hell broke loose. It was really upsetting to watch. Uh, so Friday night, if you didn't watch the game after the first period, I get it. It was over at that point in time. Alex, I thought we were past this. <clears throat> Friday, we came on the show. You and I were giving the Blues their roses. We turned off T-Bone's mic because we said, yeah. ah, stop it. He's being too negative. Mr. Negative over there. I don't need that coming off of a really nice win in Calgary, Canada. Against one of the worst teams in the NHL. Then they go up to Vancouver, and it's like they never had played hockey together before. What happened in this one, Alex? Uh, everything happened negatively for this team. That was... That had to have been the... Worst loss that we have seen from this Blues team since that losing skid last year. And I comped it post game that night to. Was that a cough and a sneeze together? Was that a cough and a sneeze simultaneously? No. No, I was talking and I didn't want to interrupt the audience and make them hear me clear my throat. Is that what that was? (gasps) Turn it off. Problem is, you're a terrible teammate and didn't mute your oh, microphone so man. congrats to you man i just ah. i didn't know what's going on I'm just trying to i'm just trying to make sure people don't hear the phlegm i didn't know that you could cough and sneeze like I was together out, I was outside, but I just did it. i was outside a lot this weekend that i didn't want to be outside a lot this weekend i stayed up late a lot this weekend that i didn't I want to stay up late. this morning hold on but the blues suck it was a bad game on friday night like we'll, take, we'll get my to weekend that. sucked well, more man i was tired so I get in this morning and I hear Alex on the phone with his wife. It sounds, now, I don't think he did this. 
It sounded as if Alex had smoked 12 packs of cigarettes yeah. yesterday. I can I can assure you that I did not. <laughs> what do you want to be, sweetheart? You want some flapjacks? I was like, I asked Alex, how you doing? He responded in a... <sighs> <laughs> I said, okay, buddy, we'll talk look, in about an hour. Look, you guys, you guys give me so much crap because Man, Alex likes to go to bed at nine o'clock at night. If I don't get my proper seven hours of sleep, this is what you get. This right here is what you get. I'm not sure it's a sleep issue, but okay. It's a sleep issue. Phlegm builds up when I don't properly sleep. Let's go back to the blues, damn it. Look, maybe that was a problem. Maybe they had phlegm. <laughs> Probably, and you can't clear your throat in the middle of a That's hockey right. game, obviously. I comped this one post game to that Winnipeg Jets lost last season. And if you remember correctly, that was game one of that big losing streak. That was the 4-2 to two loss. Which one? Oh, there was no. a lot of big losing streaks. It was streak. the first one of the season. Oh, they, no. They went four and they lost 4-2, to two, but it was one nothing after the first period. And the goal was incredible. You gave up back-to-back-to-back goals in the third period. This one, you did it in the second period, and you could never come back from it. Now, hopefully this Blues team can find ways to right the ship. They've done that already this season. Here's the problem, BK. Look at the November schedule. Colorado, New Jersey, Montreal, Winnipeg, Arizona. It doesn't matter who they play. (laughs) No, it doesn't. But what I'm saying is, and why I'm saying it is, you don't have the Pittsburgh Penguins that are a slow team. You don't have the Calgary Flames that are in shambles right now. You are taking on the best of the best. The Blues' biggest issue right now is inconsistency. It's the fact that one game they show up and they realize that they have to right their mistakes from the previous game, which they did against Calgary, which they did against Pittsburgh, which they did against Seattle. But the issue is the following game, they just act like they completely forgot what they were doing correct in games. Hence the Winnipeg Jets loss, the Vancouver Canucks loss, the Arizona Coyotes loss. There's too much up and downs. You heard Craig Berube say passing was awful. They didn't come out ready to play. They didn't skate. You didn't do anything that you did well against the Calgary Flames. And what's the result of it? Craig Berube said, I'm done with these lines. We're going to something different. Maybe that gives you a spark. But we had Thomas Drantz tell us on Friday, 25 games is when you really start to know what a team is. I said I wanted to see what they looked like after the first month. Well, after the first month, the biggest trend I see is inconsistency. Are you going to write that ship before 25 games, or are you going to be 50% the rest of the season? Because that's what they look like right now. I don't think they're capable of writing the ship. I think I they are for a game, and then they lose it the next game. Correct. I don't think this team is capable of playing consistently over the long haul, because in order to do so, you got to play a different style than what the Blues are doing. Like, Friday night was the outlier in this regard in that they just... Friday night was the worst game I've seen this team play so far this year. And there is no close second, frankly. They looked non-competitive from the moment that the puck was dropped. Every other game, for the most part, like Arizona kicked their ass a little bit. But that was in the second period. You looked fine in the first period. And if we're being totally honest, the numbers were not all that dissimilar from a lot of what they've done so far this year. That was a bad game by Joel Hofer. Joel Hofer didn't play well, and he didn't save your bacon a couple of times. And because of that, you lose the game, and it looks like it got out of hand. It was kind of similar to a lot of the other games that they've played, honestly, in terms of the underlying numbers. But most of this season, you're getting outchanced by so much. Did you not get I'm the proper seven hours too. of sleep last night? Too? They're, they're getting outchanced by what so much. Going on There's a lot of here. phlegm happening in here. You can't win consistently that way, dude. You just can't. 
Like, I understand that they want to have these grade-A chances, and it's about quality over quantity. Well, right now, you're getting neither. You're not winning board battles. Defensively, you're just okay. Like, as much as I've heard about this system, and they're preventing the high-danger chances that they allowed last year. Last game wasn't a system problem, though. It was a, oh, we're just going to watch this guy skate past us problem in the neutral zone. But, like... One of the things that I do get a little bit frustrated by is how, like, hey, they're better than they were last year defensively. Well, sure. Like, you, me, and Alex could have been better defensively than they were at times last year. They were getting pretty bad. In, on, around, whatever you wanted to do against this team, you could do it against them. So, yeah, they're they're no longer traffic cones. That's great. It's an improvement. (laughs) Until they played Winnipeg or no, Vancouver on Friday. They were traffic cones that game. But at some point, man, you got to have something you can hang your hat on. And other than goaltending, I don't know what this team does well right now. Really, I I don't on a consistent basis. They're really good in net, especially when Benner's out there. But other than that, man, really good when Pareko's out there. And I I think they don't do a whole lot well. Yeah. And I think with this system, I think you could see where you could have success. Problem is, is if you're not generating anything five on five, you got to have a great power play. They're one for 21 on the power play in the year. So they're not generating anything when they have a man advantage. So like, yeah, they I, they can't continue to play the system. And the reason I didn't want to give them their roses on Friday during the show was, though they've avoided sure. the snowball in the fir- after the first three games, unlike last year, I still saw signs that said, okay, this team still feels like they could go through a snowball. Like this could be the loss. And again, we'll, we'll see what happens on Wednesday. I'm not feeling great. I was going say, against the Colorado. It's coming in November it, unless you it, turn it around. Yeah, if they don't learn, if they can't play consistent hockey, the snowball's going to happen. And that is my biggest concern with this team is they haven't shown signs of being able to play that constant game, seeing where I can go into a game and go, okay, I know what I'm going to get from the Blues. Every night's a toss up. You could see them play really well, or you could see the Vancouver game. I. I fear that the snowball is coming for this team, and I hope that that game on Friday was not the game that starts this snowball. I don't know how they figure this out, but we'll see. Uh, if they can't figure out how to play with these fast teams, because the fast teams that go up against them know how to just attack this zone, and this zone basically turns into crumbles once they do that. Colorado, New Jersey, Montreal, Winnipeg, Arizona, Colorado, Tampa – those teams are going to have their way with you and you're going to be relying on Jordan Bennington standing on his head. And we're talking about an eight game potential losing streak. If you don't figure this out. So there's going to have to be some type of buy-in from this group that like, Hey, if we want to win hockey games, we're going to have to start winning puck battles and not being outmanned along the boards because that's what Vancouver Vancouver just watched you go at a puck and said, we'll take it from them. Every time you touched a puck, Vancouver's like, we got this. They shoved you off the puck, and then they went up the ice. It's like your older brother playing against you in basketball. Where he's like, at well, all times, anytime, they, anytime your brother really I'm, wants to get brother. after it, if he's like, ah, it's like six to nothing, I'll kind of chill out a little bit. You like score a couple of baskets. He's like, okay, let's just go ahead and end this real quick. Let's let's get finished. You know, like that's kind of what it felt like against Vancouver was at any point in time, whenever they needed to get things going offensively, they kind of could. And that's something that is not ideal for this team. I I want the Blues to be good this year. It's good for us both personally in terms of us, our time commitment that we have to put towards the St. Louis Blues because of the jobs that we have and professionally where if you guys see a team locally that does well, it is better for us because you guys listen more because it's more fun to watch. It's more fun to hear about. And our friendship because if you guys complain about them, then I just hate you more. (laughs) Exactly. So between all of those different things, it's better for us if the Blues are good. So this is not us rooting against them. I promise you that much. Just, I got to give you guys my honest thoughts about the team, and I don't view this team as one right now that is 
really very good in any specific areas other than goaltending. This is a great text, and this actually might break down this team from the 636. Guys, this team was built around Thomas and Kairou, and they can't score on breakaways. They can't score on anything. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Winnipeg At least they Jets got drawn game. out of the lineup, though. Yeah, that, that clearly fixed a lot. You, you really going to piss me off and get the phlegm built up back he again? He sounds like he's because, learned yeah, his Verana lesson. was going to make the difference in that game against Vancouver. Of it wasn't, but the point was well, never that Verana is the difference maker. Woody of? Woody of? We don't know. He wasn't in the lineup. Here comes the phlegm. <laughs> the point was never that Jakub Verana is the savior of this team. The point was that Verana is far from the biggest issue for this team right now. Now, if they wanted to prove a point, maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that is part of the issue here, then fine. But I think JR in his piece put it perfectly. This is how he opened up his piece today. By the way, you can read this over at The Athletic. It is well worth your time. Blues forward Yakub Vran had a question for The Athletic on Sunday afternoon. If I ask you, do you know what kind of a player I am? Vrana asked of Jeremy Rutherford. JR's response yeah, you're a good skater. You have a good shot. Verona said, I would say the same thing. Skating, shooting, creating offensively. Well, that's not how you get back in the lineup, Yakub. <laughs> can I can I translate that from Yakub there for you? You don't need to. He translated uh, it fine. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what Yakub's basically saying. Yeah, I don't understand why Barumi pulled me from the lineup because he knows who I am and he wants me to be more. And I, is, I'm not more. No. This is probably why if you heard Jamie say on Friday with the fast lane that there was some altercations between Verana and Barubi. Verbal, verbal altercations, I should say. Between, yeah, Verana and Barubi and Verana and Ott. Probably this. Wait, you're pulling me because what? Because I'm not forechecking hard enough? I've never forechecked. You know who I am, right? This feels... Listen, man, I think we do this too much sometimes where we're like, hey, the local team on one on one sport is like the local team on the other sport. It's all fair. This feels a lot like the Wilson Contreras thing. Where they were like, hey, can you be Yachty for us? And he was like, no, man, no, I'm going to hit. I'm really good at hitting. And when I get behind the plate, I'm going to do my thing. Oh my It'll be below average. Are they going to ask him to become a defenseman? <laughs> no, like they're the asking Cardinals him to be a goaltender. Com- oh, my God. Just like the Cardinals tried to go, Contreras, Southfield. What? <laughs> no. I, I, I just imagine with Vrana, him looking at the coaches being like, hold on. You want me to be defensive minded? And I do get it from Barubi's perspective as well, where he's like, hey, guys, we got to commit to a specific kind of game because we're not overly talented. And if we don't have everybody pulling in the right direction, this thing's going to go off the rails. So I do get it. If he's trying to, like, create a culture that clearly got off the rails early last season and he wants to keep it on the tracks this year to keep them on a path of trying to win long term, I get what Barubi is trying to do. I really do. But with a guy like Vron, at least from my perspective, I look at it and I'm like, hey, man, and this is rewarding somebody for potentially bad behavior. He has specific things that he does well. The things that he does well are shooting and creating offensively. Well, utilize those things on the power play where his defense doesn't hurt you as much because he's out there with a man advantage. You should be mostly in the offensive zone. If you get him on that first power play unit, you are able to extract those skills in a better way. On five on five, yeah, he's going to be a liability defensively. Now, the turnovers absolutely need to get corrected, but that's a problem for a lot of guys yeah. on this team right yeah, now, Yeah, you man. can't tell Verona he's got turnover issues after that game against Vancouver. There's a lot of dudes yeah, that are doing similar stuff, and it's not just Tori Krug either. Like, it's all of the guys that have to get better. Yeah. Now, his pass that led to the turnover that got him benched in that game, it was horrific. 
It was horrible. It was a no-look drop pass that went straight to the defenseman. You I've can't have it. Thoughts on those. But I, I do worry that, like, I, I don't know how well, you extract the best out of Vrana if this is kind of going to be the push and pull that exists. Yeah, well, real quick, let me correct myself because it, 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 Jamie called it animated discussions. It's not verbal altercation, so let me correct myself. They're animated discussions. So a discussion between the two. They yeah. clearly didn't see eye to eye. It was an animated was discussion. It but the reason that you can't, you, if you're going to use Vrana in that sense, then you got to put him in your top six. You can't play him with Kevin Hayes because Kevin Hayes is a puck possession guy. Kevin Hayes is a guy that goes in. And then if you put him in your top six, they're going to want even more out of him defensively. And then it becomes and welcome more of this to the, push and pull. And honestly, you're back to Mike Hoffman because Mike Hoffman wasn't the forechecker. Mike Hoffman was the, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna go in. I'm going to step set up for the one-timer, and I'm going to create goals. But you need to create offense in this system by winning puck battles, and that's what he wants. And I, I thought in preseason that Hayes and and Verona and Blay looked really well together. But as we've seen, they're not getting the speed and the puck retrieval with Kevin Hayes like Craig Berube thought he was going to get. So now you've seen Blay go down. You've moved Jake Neighbors up. If Verona's going to stay on that line, you're going to have to retrieve some pucks if you want to create offense because you can't stand in one spot in hopes that Hayes or Neighbors or Blay are going to get you the puck. you got to get it yourself. We'll get more into the lineup changes coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues off for the next couple of days. God, this schedule's terrible early on in the season. I hate it. Back in action on a Wednesday night against the Colorado Avalanche. Alex will have pregame coverage for you on that one on Wednesday evening. By the way, all week this week, we have a chance for you to score a pair of tickets to see Blink-182. So be sure to stay tuned this week. We will give you multiple opportunities this week to score a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Blink-182, Alex's favorite band. He'll oh be God. out there. You'll be out there, too, so if you excited. stay tuned long enough. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, this was our final week of our Pick'em Challenge that we do every single month, and we will give you the full results coming up at 1130. But next... Man, that was supposed to be a really cool scene last night at City Park. Instead, it turned into a downpour, and I'm not just talking about the rain. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Challenge Berkey and Dembe is coming forward. He has space and Dembe! The kick save from Berkey. Voltaire! And in! The lead again! Serving. Polito flicking. Shallowy! And in! And it's four! That was ugly last night. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. St. Louis City SC, that audio courtesy of Apple TV, loses in game one of this playoff series against Sporting KC. Four to one at home last night. Alex, my biggest concern about the way that they played is not even about the score. It's not about anything like that. It's about the style that they played. It was almost as if these two teams had switched roles. Sporting KC came out and they were the aggressor. They were really getting after it in the the um, city city zone. City had possession. It was like they were trying to like become a half court team in basketball. That is actually supposed to be more of a transition team. It was like, okay, we're getting out in transition. Now let's hold it back. Now let's peel it back. I didn't understand anything that took place. And it kind of started with Carnell deciding to go with um, only one forward instead of the two attackers there. And then 
all the way into the game. It's just kind of a weird start. And then he gets him Parker's goal, and you're like, okay, maybe they're, this is the thing that ends up settling them in. They were overly excited about it, like whatever. And it just went the opposite direction, man. What did you see from City last I, night? I mean, my bigger – first of all, I liked the response that they had with what Tim Parker was the mm-hmm. one that scored that was less than two minutes after Sporting KC got on the board. They like, needed it. That, that was like, oh, okay, City's here to play. Like, that was their wake-up call. But then after that, I, I mean, as much as I agree with, like, their play didn't look the way that they looked all season, guys, Roman Berkey looked off. I mean, the goals, I didn't think he was the problem last night. I didn't think he was the sole problem, but he had a couple of turnovers in his own half that were a little concerning just in terms of putting City in a spot where it's like you can't clear the zone. You're forcing yourself into a bad spot of letting Sporting kind of get that consistent flow going, and it just didn't seem the way that Roman Berkey is used to being. Yeah, I I didn't see that. I, I didn't have any issues with his play last night. Um, I thought it was more... Like a lot of those opportunities that they had were from deep. Yeah. And they were just really good shots. I saw there was a stat that was posted last night. Sporting Kansas City in the first half scored three goals from at least 18 yards away. It was the first time any team had done that all season long. So, I mean, if you're if you're getting those opportunities from that far out and they're going in, like tip the cap to them and say, hey, you know, I, I'm just going to assume that that's not going to happen moving forward in this series. Unfortunately, it did. It did happen in game one. It'd be like... If you go into a playoff series in the NHL, Alex, and in game one of the series, you outshoot the opposition, you have more high danger chances than the opposition, you do everything right, and they have three goals that come come in from God only knows how far, you're like, okay, hey, tip your cap, that's weird, I don't know how that happened, I don't think that that style of play would be sustainable over a seven-game series, but the St. Louis City SC doesn't have a seven-game series here. They've got a three-game set, and the next game is going to be on the road in Kansas City, and that is something that really worries me personally, is them having to go on the road and potentially take care of business there because this is a team that has not been nearly as good on the road this year as they were at home. This was supposed to be the advantage that you had. Yeah, and they not only have they had their struggles on the road, but you've struggled in the last two months, really. Only two wins since September. So they're a team that just, for whatever reason, something has gone awry. They don't seem to be the same team that we saw early on in the year. And I thought uh, Taylor Twelman said it perfectly. That's not the City team that was playing early on this season. Because like you said, they were a possession team last night. And it was very weird how the roles got reversed. And they never could seem to find a way to break out. Now, I think part of that was because... I thought the back line was horrendous last night. I, I think that's part of the reason because they kept having those turnovers, which led to those shots from deep that ended up beating Berkey because I didn't think Berkey was all that bad. But I I really fear what they're going to do on the road in this game because this feels like a series that's over. Typically when you see a team that struggles going into any playoff format, if they struggle in that first game, it just the snowball continues and then they're pretty much knocked out early on. If they're able to right the ship in that first game, then things you see those teams that struggle coming in the playoffs, they kind of turn things around. And then if they win that first series, they just take off from there. They didn't do that last night. And last night was, I think, the worst game I think I've seen them play this year. So I think they're going to have to go back to two forwards up top. You mentioned that. I think they're going to have to go back to that. And then I'm curious to know what to do on the back line because I. I thought Nielsen had a bad game, and you heard Taylor Tolman read off the stat. They've won one game since he's returned to the yeah. starting lineup, and I don't think that's necessarily just like, oh, he's been awful in those games, but the chemistry's been off ever since they've brought him back to that back line. So Bradley Carnell's going to have a really important week to figure out things. I, I think they're going to move back to the two forwards. I'm curious to know what the back line looks like. So though. Taylor Twelman mentioned that yesterday on the broadcast. Dale, or Dalen Carnell. Um, Carnell, Bradley Carnell, Dalen Carnell, Mizzou player. Bradley Carnell, the St. Louis City SC coach was asked about this after the game, why he decided to go with the lineup that he did. 
we chose to go with uh, the extra 10 in the midfield. And, uh, you know, we thought we would create a little few more passing la- uh, lanes between the lines, um, you know, and it didn't really set up the way we wanted to. Um, I thought we were a little bit too passive for that on the night. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. We'll have to just see what we decide coming uh, over the next couple of days. But um, that was the decision we went with tonight. But, um, you know, I don't think there's any guarantees that it was over Nico or Sam. Yeah, I I think you got to go with one of those guys in the next game. I think you got to get out of the attack. You want a specific style this year, and it's risky. It absolutely allows opportunities going the other direction, and then you need Roman Berkey to stand on his head. And he is potentially one of the MVPs. It sounds like he's the front runner uh, in MLS this year for goalkeeper of the year. And he's deserving of all of that praise. And you needed him to do all of those things. Kind of like Bennington, right? When the Blues are playing well, you need Bennington to play extraordinarily well in net. That's got to happen. That is a prerequisite for the Blues to, to win. Berkey has to be that guy for City as well. But you also have to get this attack going, man. Get that press going out there. And if you don't get that going, you're going to go home early. And it doesn't mean that this season wasn't a success. This season was already an overwhelming success. But it absolutely means it ended in disappointment. Yeah, you can't get swept out of the playoffs, though, that first round. I'm not going to sit here and act like the season is a complete bust. But for how big of a year it was... In two games, if you find yourself talking about the offseason, that's not what you want in this start to the first season. Yeah, the thing they're going to have to figure out is you mentioned going on the attack. Like, you never noticed Klaus last night. Yeah, I mean, early, I think early in the second half, he had a shot on goal, but yeah. never noticed Klaus. I don't think Lewin was very noticeable last night, and he's a guy that's a finalist for newcomer of the year. Now, unfortunately for him, Messi is too. Um, but I, those two guys, like those are the stars on this team. When they're when they're playing right, who are the guys that you're talking about? You're talking about Klaus, you're talking about Leuven, and then Berkey on his own category yep. as the goalkeeper. Those guys were unnoticeable last night. They've got to find a way to get them involved in the match. And not just get involved, but get involved early. That sets the tone for that game in Kansas City because if they score first, then Kansas City's going to feel all that momentum that they just felt from game one, and they're going to feel unstoppable in game two. The better team last night on set pieces was sporting that can't happen that's got to be something that you have a clear and decided advantage in one thing that i probably did and i would imagine a lot of um, city fans did as well was underestimating what sporting kc has been we talked about it yesterday on the broadcast since may 1st they've been one of the best teams in the in mls they had a terrible start to the season and then got things turned around as they started to go with some of their different players this is a different team than the team that we expected them to be given that they're the eight seed. Now city is going on the road where they are six, eight and three this year. Uh, it, it It's a do or die situation, obviously. And they are going to have to make the correct lineup decisions. Carnell has um, mostly been excellent with that stuff so far this year. I would anticipate he's going to make the necessary changes and go with the two attackers going into this one. So plenty more time to discuss what that's going to look like going into next weekend's match against Sporting KC. City down 1-0 in this first round of the Western Conference playoffs, heading on the road next weekend in Kansas City. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, we'll get to the, those in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, it's time for our football pick'em reveal. We each picked three games going into the weekend. It was some tight standings. Alex and I were tied. T-Bone was up by one point heading into this past weekend. How do we do? We'll let you know next year on 101 ESPN. 
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. So on Friday, we made our picks as we do each and every week. This is the final week, though, of our second round of our Pick'em Challenge. Alex, whoever ends up getting the fewest points in this four-week stretch will have to eat baby food at the end of every hour on tomorrow's show. So Mm. it was a big week. And going into this weekend, it was a tight race. T-Bone was up by just one point. We have a potential of six points to be consumed, though, over the weekend. So everything up for grabs. Everybody was very much in play going into this weekend. It wasn't like last round where it was basically just you or me. T-Bone was mostly safe until we got to the final day. And then I really felt very afraid. But we were afraid. We were all in play going into this weekend. So let's get to our picks. Let's start with T-Bone, who made the first pick of the week. He got the first one out of the way early with Oregon, who he loved going into the weekend. So my one-point play, I'm going to start in college football, and I'm going to probably go with the best game of the weekend. I'm going to go with the Oregon Ducks minus 6.5 at the Utah Utes. Quack, quack. Fred, I think they can win by a touchdown at minimum, so give me the Ducks minus 6.5. Here's Knicks in the end zone. Touchdown, Ducks, Troy Franklin. Easy win, quick work of it, 35-6, to Ducks get the win. Guys, if you wanted to make a case today that despite their one loss, Oregon is the best team right now in college football, I could understand it. They're playing that way currently. They've got an unbelievable offense, and if they didn't go over on fourth down against Washington, they probably would have found a way to win that game as well. Oregon's tremendous. They're right up there with the best teams in college football, if not the best. Yeah, and that was the whole reason I took them in that game was I thought that that defense could shut down Utah's offense, who's playing with a backup quarterback, and that offense is just really good. I I think they're going to be in the college football playoff. I really do believe that. I think they're going to get a rematch with Washington and sneak in. That's what I thought I was going to say. If we don't don't see Washington and Oregon in the playoffs, then something went wrong. Their remaining schedule for those curious Cal this week, USC the week after, Arizona State, and then Oregon State to finish things out. What happened with USC, man? You seem a little angry. We'll get to it. Uh, The next pick is Alex's one-point play. He goes to the Sunday slate. I am taking my first pick, my number one pick, to the Seattle Seahawks against Cleveland. I think Cleveland is a dejected team. I think Geno Smith in that offense is going to be able to handle Cleveland, and I don't think Cleveland's going to get any offense going. So Seattle minus three and a half is my one point. Smith, screen, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba looking for the lead and redemption for the Seahawks offense. Touchdown, Seahawks lead. That was one of the best games yesterday. Just as I expected it to <laughs> that, be. That was a roller coaster of a game. Because I, I turned that game off at 17-3, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, that one's over. And then it was 20-17 Cleveland. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what I just had, happened? I had the alert on my phone for that game because I was at a wedding, and so it popped up that they got back into it. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Uh, and my comments about them being de- dejected. Now, this might just be a report, but apparently Joshua Dobbs has been traded to Cleveland. Is that true? That's what I saw a report from a uh, Bernie Pleskov. 
on Twitter. Who? No idea. Are you sure? It, it, like I said, it's just a report on yeah, Twitter. I could be fooled. Don't don't take that to the bank. I need to see Schefter report it first. Well, yeah, I think you've been fooled. Probably. I, I mean, it's happened. But it it's happened. Yeah, let, let's wait to sh- tell Schefter report something, and then we can decide whether or not it's, it's happened uh, it's to me before. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's happened or not, but we'll, we'll see. Anyways, that's a good win for you. Hell that's yeah, a really nice hit right there. Three and a half point line. You get them to win by four. Seahawks are looking awfully feisty right now. T-Bone told us all offseason. They look better than guys, the Rams right now, right? They're better than the 49ers. The Seahawks are going to win that division. And wow. I laughed at him. Yeah. I flat out laughed at him. He might be right. They look yeah, really, laugh. really good. Yeah, all because laughed at me this week when I said, hey, don't be shocked if the Panthers get their first one. No way. They, that one. they won't lose to that. That they one I do remember Texans. him saying. Now, I will say I, I was skittish. You were very. You know how I know I was, I was not as confident in the Texans as I led on to believe? Once that line went to three and a half, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't need that hook. <laughs> Love them minus the three. The hook, though, that's where they're not going to get me. So maybe I wasn't as confident as I was uh, leading on. Maybe I should trust my gut, like whenever I'm trying to pick a team that everybody knows is a fraud. USC is taking on Cal. Alex, I understand that a lot of people are down on USC right now. I don't blame them for being down on USC. The University of Cal is not Utah. It is not Notre Dame. It's not even Arizona or Colorado. This is a team that should get shell shock. Give me USC minus the 10 and a half points. I think they win this one going away. And I think Caleb Williams reminds everybody why he is going to be the number one pick next April. Swing to Thomas. That's some blocking. Thomas blocking. Thomas touchdown. E. 235 yards rushing. Did he remind everybody why Five. he was going to be the first overall pick? Caleb Williams was mostly fine. <laughs> yeah. 235 yards rushing, 295 yards through the air. USC's defense is trash. They should have lost that game. <laughs> they absolutely should have lost that game. This team is not just a fraud. They are one of the biggest frauds that we've ever seen in the history of college football. I can't believe what we're witnessing out there with the Trojans. Just your typical Lincoln Riley. This is not a top 25 team. This is a team that should be considered one of the bottom feeders of the Pac-12 right now. Cal looks better. They flat out looked like the better football team on the field. They turned the ball over four times and should have won. I can't believe how bad USC is right now, man. Just an embarrassment for me, not for them, for me, that I actually trusted them going into the weekend. 49 points against Cal, who doesn't even care that they have a football pro, doesn't even care that they have athletic programs. Just an embarrassment, an embarrassment by me. It's a bad job, man. I tried to warn you, too. I said, I don't like that game because I feel like USC's giving up. No, it's Cal. No, they can beat Cal. They can cover this. You were pretty aggressive about that and about the Carolina thing with him. So, yeah. You deserve what I'm bringing today. Your tone actually probably puts you in hammer. this position. But the good news is it was only your, what, one-point play? That uh-huh. shouldn't matter. You're right. You're right. You All got right, a two- or three-point play to take We're going to rebound. We're going to get back on track. T-Bone, your two-point pick. I like this one. You know I hate picking against the boys. 
but I got to do it. How about them Cowboys? Give me the Cowboys minus six against the L.A. Rams. I think that defense is going to cause havoc. The running back room is still beat up for L.A. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. Darryl and Henderson. if you put Stafford into passing <laughs> yeah. downs with Micah Parsons running at him, it concerns me. That defense is too good. I don't think the Rams are going to be able to stop Dak Prescott in the offense. So I like the Cowboys minus the six. Four-man rush. Prescott escapes. Rolling, looking, throwing. Caught for the touchdown. Guess who? You know what I hate who? about T-Bone? I call you know that what I hate about to a T. Or a D. You know what I hate about yeah. him? These Cowboys. He didn't even have to sweat. Both of his games He's were like, Washington. boom, turned it on, and it's over. Yeah. Just over. Yeah. From the moment that they have the opening kickoff, there was never hey, a chance. I respect those picks. That the Rams were going to get beat, and certainly never a chance that the Rams hey. were going to come back and make that one interesting. Props to him to put it down and... and actually back it because I was very skeptical of Dak Prescott performing in that game, but man, <laughs> he and CD lamb. They, they, I think they were stealing signs out there because man, they were having more success that I've seen them have as a connection in a long time. I played Tony Pollard in every daily fantasy lineup that I had yesterday. I've never been more frustrated. <laughs> they scored 43 points and he had 50 yards. Mm, it's like, he, he may as well have not even been out there. I think, uh, T-Bone said Stoltz had CD Lamb on his bench. Yeah. Uh, no. That's the whole reason I'm winning in our fantasy No league. way. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. If Stoltz starts CD Lamb. Who did he Lamb, start over? <laughs> some Packer. Um, if if CD Lamb starts in that Stoltz. game in our fantasy league. Is that league, true? Yeah. Stoltz. If Stoltz starts CD oh. Lamb in our fantasy league, it would come down to the wire tonight in our game. Oh, Stoltz. Stoltz. I'm going to be 7-1 and one on top of the leaderboard, Stoltz, baby. Stoltz, if you're listening right now, big man, just accept the trade I gave you. You've called the season. You waved the white flag. Hey, T-Bone. Yeah. Can I read you the report that Alex saw? Yeah. I'm just going to read you word for word. The uh, is there like misspelling in this too? Arizona Cardinals Joshua Dobbs traded by Cleveland. will start at quarterback against the Browns on Sunday. <laughs> oh, I read that one incorrectly. You think? <laughs> Wait, at what point did you realize how oh, I might have misinterpreted I Dobbs this? Dobbs traded Cleveland. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I see nothing wrong here. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the state of Ohio, I'm living with the Bengals. I think this is the week that we see Joe Burrow get back on track. Son of a. I think this is Damn the it. week that we finally see him look healthy. If this team is back on track and there's a chance Sam Darnold doesn't play on Sunday, I like the Bengals to not only cover this four and a half point spread. I like Cincinnati to win this thing outright. Give me the Bengals plus the four and a half. And look, they clear the way for Mixon and perhaps the knockout punch. Hey, we did it. We got a game right. Oh, that was nice. Look, you picked a two-point two play, my man. All I got to do is bet on Joe Burrow. Yeah. <laughs> that guy never steers me wrong. You would have said that three weeks ago. I would have said that's a terrible bet. Listen, man, the Bengals are one of the best teams in the NFL. They're going to be in the AFC Championship game. Starting in week eight. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, <laughs> starting just, once just they, wait yeah, until yeah. they get back on track. They Actually needed their quarterback them. to be healthy. That was it. Wouldn't the, he just sat him for the first three weeks of the season and made sure he was healthy and just only lose three games? Probably would have been the right way to go about it. Now, their schedule is going to be tough as hell, man. Buffalo, Houston, Baltimore, Jacksonville, uh, Pittsburgh on the road, at Kansas City. They've got some really difficult opponents coming up, but this is going to be a team that's going to be in the playoffs. And that was a huge win for the Cincinnati Bengals. We got it right. They get a win outright and cover the spread. Alex, you got another one that I don't think you really ever sweat this one either. 
This is the one I'm most confident in. It is Miami minus nine and a half at home against New England. Uh, Bill Belichick and Mac Jones, enjoy the week where you feel like you're good again because you're going to be terrible. Mac Jones in his career, he's three and 14 as an underdog, two and seven (laughs) on the road. Meanwhile, Tua is 17 and five when his team is a favorite, 11 and one when they're on home field. I think after a bad week offensively for Miami, they're going to just exploit the hell out of a New England team that thinks they're good. And defensively, I don't see New England getting anything going. As they play from the 31-yard line, two of fakes oh over the goodness. middle, wide open. Waddle's going to waltz in. Me, oh my. Jalen Waddle, seven receptions, 121 yards and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, eight receptions, 112 yards and a touchdown. Man, if only Tyreek Hill was good. ESPN's analytics tell me that he's like the 30th best receiver in the NFL. Can you imagine analytics. if he was a top 10 guy? Yeah, analytics, you've gone too far. Barely outperformed Tank Dell this weekend. What would tell you? tough week for the Patriots if Tyreek Hill was actually good at football. You know what I'm saying? Well, Tank Dell got open. Uh, that was... That was a really impressive performance by the Dolphins. They needed it. They got back on track, and they beat the hell out of the And Patriots. you said I didn't sweat it out. That first quarter, yeah. I kind of did because they didn't score a touchdown. New England scored. I'm like, oh, you got to be bleeping kidding Even me. Even they were going to get back on track. I, but I was worried it was going to be like a, a seven-point win. I'm like, no freaking way. But then when they got the, the two-touchdown lead, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're done. T-Bone picked a game that I didn't have the balls to pick, but he ends up getting this one right. Oh. But I am a little confused as how the Jaguars – only two and a half on the road at Pittsburgh. I don't see how they don't cover this one. I like Jack minus two and a half at Pittsburgh. Lawrence sets and throws a deep shot. It's caught by ETN. ETN is going to take it all the way. Touchdown, Jacksonville. BK don't know Jack. Man, I really wanted to take the Jaguars, but I didn't have the guts. I didn't have the intestinal fortitude to do it while they were on the road at Pittsburgh. I had just gotten beat the week prior with the Rams playing against Pittsburgh, and I was at home. Uh, so I didn't have the guts to do it, but a good pick by you, T-Bone. Yeah, thanks. And if you followed T-Bone, you were smelling money on Sunday. 3-0. 3-0 week for you. It's a good follow-up to the last week, last time around, where you went 0-3. Yeah. Me and Alex each had one game (sighs) remaining. So what's the point score at this point? We're tied? If I get it right and you get it wrong, you get punished. If you get it right and I get it wrong, I'm getting punished. If we push... I'm getting punished. Oh, that's not good for you. (laughs) Jets and Giants. I'm stuck in between Kansas City and the New York Giants right now. Oh, well, I can tell you. You want me to go with my three-point play real quick? Yeah, please. My three-point play, my clear-cut, most confident pick of the week is the New York Jets against the New York Giants. The Giants are a terrible football team. The Jets are coming off of the bye week. We've seen Zach Wilson now look competent. I think the Jets are clearly the better team. I think the Jets are actually kind of good. Give me the Jets minus the three points. It's my favorite pick of the week. I have a bet on the Jets to win that division at this point in time. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Let's go, New York. Well, this is perfect because this was the one I was picking the Giants plus three. So I'll make that my two-point play. For entertainment pleasure for all of you listeners out there, it's BK versus Alex. Uh, I'm taking the Giants plus three. For the win. You guys could not have picked a worse I football game. I told you not to make such demonstrative statements and listen to what you said, man. You even chanted at the end. You did a chant too, but but I misspelled it, so it kind of offsets itself. J I A N T S Giants, 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 Giants. So who's gonna punish this week, BK? Well, that's what the uh, Salt and Pepper once called it.
They pushed it real good, and you lose. Do you want me to bring my daughter's cocoa melon bib for you oh, tomorrow? So you don't get any baby food all over your your clothes. I can't wait to go. BK, How does this keep it's going to get stuck in your mustache, man. Here, come, here comes the airplane. Comes a fire Why does it keep happening? Because you suck, man. You suck. Yeah, you're bad. I'm really glad that I did that, though, because I was going to take the Chiefs for my two-point play, and I would have lost. So I took this one to push. They had negative nine passing yards. <laughs> That's tough. The only reason they scored a touchdown was because Brees Hall was actually competent in that game. Do you know how hard it is to have negative nine net passing yards in a game? Pretty hard. In 2023? Yeah. <laughs> and still get to overtime. I think I was the only team that could accomplish that. The last time that a team had less than 10 yards passing and won was 2006, and the Giants nearly did exactly that. And you know who else I'm mad at today, Alex? Who, buddy? I'm mad at Robert Sala because he is a coward. And the reason why he's a coward is because he had first and 10 at the New York Giants 15-yard line in overtime, and he kicked the field goal. Nice. He kicked the field goal. Nice. What an embarrassment. Why are you settling for three in that spot, man? We need to cover. Good teams win, great teams cover. He clearly didn't know the line. He thought it was two and a half. He wouldn't be kicking the field goal if not for that. So yeah. I feel like we should find like a crying baby sounder because we that's pushed. what he sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite BK is getting punished again. Ooh, okay. So I'm just looking through like different baby food flavors oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. this is going to be fun. Um, vegetables and beef puree. Ugh. That sounds good. Oh, no, I'm not. Um, uh, you're eating what? Turkey and gravy puree. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a ham one too. Oh, man. We could be like Thanksgiving before we even hit November, buddy. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Meats, ham, and gravy. Hey, good news. You don't got to bring your lunch tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You need sweet potato, squash, and chicken. This one comes from the 314. BK, it keeps happening to you because you're not a football guy. You're great at analytics for baseball and knowing your baseball. I'm the insider. I just told you that Josh Dobbs is... But when you're going to start versus the Browns, when it comes to football, you're not the guy to get advice from. T-Bone is the football guy on this show. Yeah, it's true. I'm in first in the fantasy league. I, I don't remember the last time I got punished in our pick Oh, God. I played football oh, growing God. up. There's, I did not. There's turkey and peas. Ooh, yummy. I hate this segment every guy. week so much. So much. And it just keeps going against you. You should try what Grant tries when we do our money line on hockey. Like he says what he wants to do and then picks the opposite that game. I'm handing off game. the picks to Luca. I'm going to find well, a way to let him pick. You let Kara do it last year. I'm going to give didn't him work. two rattles. <laughs> and one's going to have the picture of one team. The other's going to have the picture of the other team. And he will pick my games for me. Because that is clearly as good as me doing research prior to the week. Yeah. Yeah. That's Alex. He's T-Bone. I'm BK. Questions and answers is next. Ugh. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
and T-Bone on BK3143999646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this. Guys, St. Louis sports pretty rough right now. It's hard to do. What keeps you motivated to do the show? One, BK check losing. keeps clearing. That helps. Well, that's true. <laughs> BK losing every Friday. Two, yeah. I, I genuinely am curious about things. I, I like learning more about the things that we watch on a night-to-night basis. What can we take from the World Series and apply it to the Cardinals? What can we take from the last Blues game and apply it to the future? So that, that stuff keeps me motivated. And I like these guys. I like talking, talking sports with them. Sure he does. I like the fact that, I mean, I know it sucks when teams are bad like this, but first of all, it does provide a lot to talk about because you kind of get repetitive when the team's so dominant and you're talking about the same reasons that they're dominant. But I also like the opportunity to watch a team go from bad to good. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't take 10 years to get there, but that's that's at least exciting knowing that you watched the team and you were around the team when they were bad. Like 2019 was so cool for me because you covered them that season and then you went on that run. Now you get to watch it kind of through the, uh, through a couple of years to get back to the relevance. Yeah. I, I just enjoy in general, just the strategy of all every game, hockey, soccer, watching the adjustments that Cornell didn't make at halftime. Whoa, um, whoa. And then I, I also like thinking like long-term, like as army what is the goal of this year what is the plan after this year that's the kind of stuff that i enjoy looking into okay if i were running a team how would they probably do this that that's the stuff that excites me uh 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line from the 636 guys do you think that any of the north american sports leagues will soon go to the tv model that mls has with apple i think that's absolutely something that will be under consideration i I don't think will I don't think the NBA will. They've already got such a good lucrative deal that's signed long-term. NFL will never do that as long as they can still continue to have these networks that are paying them crazy amounts of money. I think baseball and hockey are the two that will go that way soon. And the reason why is because much like MLS, they're regionalized. Fans want to watch their team. They'll still have some national TV games, don't get me wrong, but I think that's probably the two sports that are most likely to go to a similar type of package, the ones that are currently using the uh, the regional sports networks. Yeah, yeah I think I NHL's going to be there in a couple of years with all this Bally stuff, and NHL realizes that it's you can capitalize on kind of the niche teams and get people to watch. I'm sure baseball's going to get there as well because of the Bally situation. Yeah, I'm very fearful of when baseball goes there. Small spend even less because they're gonna they're gonna have to make money on that they don't get the guaranteed money it's gonna fluctuate and if it fluctuates some of these smaller markets baltimore arizona they won't have a guaranteed number set and they may even cut back spending more they won't go oh we got a win to draw on viewers no they'll do the business mindset of oh well we got to cut back even more we're gonna build around a young roster that doesn't make any money in 15 minutes we'll get to some nfl quick hitters but next Merrill Kelly seems to be proving the value of innings, and Rob Manfred wants other teams to pay attention to that. We'll get into it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Rivera's got it, and game two goes to the Diamondbacks in a resounding way, 9-1 to to tie the series up. 
Impressive showing by the Diamondbacks over the weekend. This series is tied up one to one. Game three is tonight between the Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers. Game three of the World Series this evening. Fought is on the mound for the Diamondbacks. Fat Merrill and Kelly going up against Max Scherzer. Alex, I didn't think that the Diamondbacks had had really much of a chance in the last series. And they found a way to come back after being down significantly against the Phillies. And now they're in the World Series. Didn't give them much of a chance in this series either. Tied 1-1 in this series thus far. Merrill Kelly is a big part of why they are at this point in the season. This year, in 178 innings, he had a 3.2 ERA. Last year, 200 innings, had a 3.3 ERA. Maybe most importantly is those innings that he has been given them. He's doing that in the postseason as well, man. So far, six and a third, five and two thirds, five innings, seven innings. If you add up those four starts, 24 innings over his four starts in the playoffs. The Diamondbacks do not have a very deep bullpen of guys that they can trust. So when he's going out there and he's giving them pretty close to a quality start every time that he's going out so far this postseason, that is a huge factor in the success of this Arizona Diamondbacks team. They've won three of the four games in which he has started. Alex, as I think about Merrill Kelly, I don't think of an overly dominant number one starter, but that's kind of what he's performed as so far this year and into the postseason. Reason why I bring him up specifically with the Cardinals in mind is because of what it means for them going into this postseason. It's hard not to think about, in my mind at least, Aaron Nola when I look at Merrill Kelly because he's not overly dominant. He's not a guy that's going out there striking out the world. He doesn't have crazy good velocity, but he gives them innings. He gets to the postseason and is a workhorse for them then. And that's the kind of thing that Aaron Nola could bring to this team next year. When you think about what Kelly has meant to the Diamondbacks and what it means for the Cardinals plans, what comes to mind for you? You just said it, Aaron Nola. And this is why watching him perform, not just uh, with that game over the weekend, but really throughout the postseason. Now, the swing and miss stuff, I would say, is better on the Merrill Kelly side than the Aaron Nola side. But innings... And being able to stay in competitive games is why Aaron Nola was always the top dog for me. Because, again, you've seen it in the past. He's always there for you. He knows how his body works in terms of keeping him available every season for the team. But when you get into a postseason, you want that pitcher to always elevate his game. And we just saw Aaron Nola be able to elevate his game like Merrill Kelly has done. I mean, it's wild going into the postseason where we talked about Zach Gallon was going to be the the dominant pitcher. And Merrill Kelly has outperformed him pretty much since the wild card round. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and yes, you still need that top dog, that top ace if you're going to bring in Aaron Nola. But your fallback is a guy who when the postseason happens, it's like Jordan Bennington. It's always a guy that you know his game's going to go to the next level for you. And that's why after watching Merrill Kelly, it's like, yeah, this is kind of why Aaron Nola was always intriguing to me. Yeah, it feels like with what we've seen from these two teams this year with Montgomery, Evaldi, Merrill Kelly, Nennings, and Zach Gallon, those top two guys, it almost feels like the playoffs have reverted back to what the Nationals were in 2019. Where if you have, they had three dominant starters, but if you have two dominant starters, you don't necessarily have to have a great bullpen because instead of shortening games, you lengthen games out and then you can shorten your bullpen usage. And it is interesting because I've always been one of those that has said said ever since I've joined the show was, hey, it's okay to have a starter go five innings if you have a dominant bullpen. Well, the Diamondbacks are proven, hey, you don't need a dominant bullpen in the playoffs. You just need two guys at the back end, as long as you've got guys that can shorten it. And it does show that innings eaters still matter in the playoffs. I, I've always, the reason I've had some 
pushback on Nolas. I don't think you need an innings eater in the regular season because you've got Michaelis. Well, the, now the more I'm watching Merrill Kelly pitch, the more I'm going, hey, maybe the more the merrier because, one, you're keeping the bullpen fresher. The more the merrier. Merrill, that was bad. The the fresher your bullpen is in the regular season, the oh, better. And then also, too, you can shorten that bullpen into the playoffs and have guys like this. And you got to have a wipeout pitch to do it, and that's what Merrill Kelly has with that change. It's up. also, I mean, this dude's 34 years old. And like he's gotten yeah, he better. A number. He's gotten better over the last three years. Like every year he's incrementally better. And for people who are concerned, and look, I understand there's a lot more innings on Aaron Nola than there are on Merrill Kelly. But like you're seeing, you're getting the best of him right now, which again, this is why as much as you don't want to talk about a five or six year deal for Aaron Nola, it's not about years five and six. It's about years one through three, one through four and what he could do for you. And one through four is basically what we've seen from Merrill Kelly while he's been with the Diamondbacks. That's that's his entire career in the big leagues because he had such a strange career of not really amounting to much while he was in the minors and then having to go over to the KBO, having some success over there. The Diamondbacks found him. And by the way, That is something else that the Cardinals could use as a lesson here is, hey, if we find the right guy, they could be our Merrill Kelly. If we go over to Japan, go over to the KBO, he found success there, figured out who he was as a pitcher, and then was able to translate that after a year into the success that he's had so far with the Diamondbacks. So uh, there's a lot of different lessons to be learned from Merrill Kelly and his success with the Diamondbacks and what the Diamondbacks have become as a team because of his success with them. And a lot of those can be applied this offseason to the St. Louis Cardinals. They can also be applied to what Rob Manfred wants to do rules-wise, Alex. Rob Manfred made himself available, as he does prior to every World Series over the weekend. And I I did find it really interesting what he had to say. So the Athletic had a piece about this uh, over the weekend. He sounds very interested in making a couple of changes to the ways that pitchers are utilized, both in terms of the number of pitchers that are available and how long they're going in games. Here's what Rob Manfred had to say to reporters. The way that pitching is being used right now has caused a a dilution in that uh, that star quality of our starters. I do think that's an issue. It's something that we need to talk about. There's a lot of fans who feel like the change from what's today's pitching matchup to what's the opener today has not been a positive one. The Athletic then added that Manfred believes that the Major League Baseball 13-pitcher limit has not done enough to encourage teams to get more out of their starters. He's open to the idea of dropping that limit to 12 pitchers on a roster, but that change wouldn't come as soon as next year. Manfred declined to detail the potential on-field changes for next season, but after a slew of major rule changes this year, he's often talked about a year of wanting to make next year's changes much smaller. So he's talking about limiting the number of pitchers on a roster. That would make some changes, don't get me wrong, because you just have fewer options during the regular season. But I think that the the change for teams would be, okay, we're just going to continue utilizing the IL. We're going to continue utilizing more young pitchers. What this would really do is get rid of some of those veteran relievers that are making 2 to $3 million because they don't have options. So teams would say, mm, you lack too much flexibility for us. We'd rather have a 22-year-old that we can option up and down throughout the course of the season and have that roster flexibility because we only have 12 12 spots to utilize for our pitching. I think instead what they should consider is the double hook rule. If your pitcher doesn't go at least five innings, you lose the DH that day. And it makes your roster decisions much more interesting. It makes your decisions in game much more interesting. Teams would then have to change the strategy because now it becomes a question of, okay, how valuable is our DH in this game? And if we think that he's pretty darn valuable, 
then you got to keep your starter in for five innings. And if your starter gets absolutely shellacked, you got to decide, okay, do we pull him here and lose our DH because we got to get somebody else into this game? Like it makes much more interesting decisions. I think that's the move here. I don't think that changing this to a 12 man pitching staff really does a whole lot. I I love the double hook. And I know you guys are talking about it over the weekend because I want to see that. I want to see more of a chess match in games rather than knowing that you can just pull a dude if it doesn't work and bring somebody else in. Here's my bigger question with it though. How long does it take to implement this because teams we've talked about it have just changed their idea of developing pitchers in the minors if you're bringing guys through your system and know like hey when you get to the majors if you're a starter for us you're pitching five or more innings that changes the development rate good. in terms it good but how much how much do injuries become a problem once again i mean i think the whole the whole idea of the injuries have gone up because i there's never been any correlation of the more innings you pitch, the more injured you are. Look at Aaron Nolt. He's pitched a ton of innings. That dude's never hurt. But you developed Jacob DeGrom in that doesn't. Way. Jacob, I don't think so. I mean, he's developed in the same era. DeGrom developed in the same era. He's hurt. Why? Because he's max effort all the time. That's the biggest issue. I, I love the idea of the double hook. I don't want an innings limit on it either, by the way. I don't want it to be after, oh, he's got to go five innings and you keep the DH. Because otherwise, what are teams going to do? They're going to go five. It's going to be the five and dive. It's going to be the typical five and dive still. So I think it's got to be something that it's either extended to six innings or there is no limit on it at all and i i've always said this i I thought it was stupid for major league baseball to say oh the more pitchers we give you the less you're likely to go no are you kidding me they're going to use the numbers and go well we need matchups we're not going to see the third time through more they've got to go back to the original 25 man rosters i think that's the way you do it and if you want i don't think that changes much either no no no. but i think you do the double hook as well okay i was about to say because their reaction to that would just be Okay, cool. We're going with the one fewer pitcher on our roster. Then we'll just use that as an interchangeable piece of our roster. I think you do both. I I think you have to go with both. And honestly, if you want to do... I don't think they'll do the six innings. I think it'll have to be five. And I think the reason why they do that is because now it eliminates the opener. I think that's what they're trying to get rid of. I think baseball is fine because five innings is still a start. Like, but see, I think people hate the five and dive. I, sure. I think it's the same thing. I, think I that's don't the think issue. it is at all. I think that a lot of what you're seeing during the regular season is sometimes you'll have these starters that are going out there for like six batters and then they're pulled and then you have to go through an entire game where you're using your bullpen. It's a bullpen day, right? That's what they'll label it as. What baseball needs to get back to is having guys that are at least getting it through five. And hopefully for a lot of these guys, it means getting through six or seven. And if you're trained to get through at least five innings as a young starter, maybe you can get to six or seven later on. But I don't think that they will do this with with six innings. I I, I just think that's going to be something I, that is I don't think five's enough because I think you're going to get the typical five and dive still. And I still think people don't like the five and dive starter. I can't tell you how many times I've heard complaints about the five and dive starter here in the playoffs. So I think you can't do that. And I also don't want to see. The I don't reason, think you can do it with six. I think that's too much. The other reason I think you can't, you've got to lower the roster limit down too. not just instead of 26 players with 12 pitchers, you go down to 25 as a whole because you just carry an extra bench player. And what do I think people hate? I think they hate the platoon splits too. I think people hate platoon players as well. And I think you're going to see more of that. If you move to this model where you just cut down the pitcher limit and keep the roster size, the same at 26. And I think that's a big issue for baseball too. I think people are tired of seeing the pinch hit platoon batter. I think they hate it. I I really do. Roster size then. That's what I would say. Go to 25. That's the big thing for me. Is that way you still keep the so bench keep at the five same players? Numbers. No, you cut the pitcher numbers down, right? You cut you the pitcher number down. You keep the bench at 13. four. Four. So it wouldn't sorry. change oh, okay. anything for the position player. No, side. but if you keep it at twenty six, what I'm saying is, if you keep the roster at twenty six, but you cut the pitcher limit down, you carry an extra bench bat, and that's you. my biggest thing too. Is I think then you'd see more platoon at bats as well, and I think fans hate that too. Yeah, I I think fans have less of an issue with the pinch hitting than the, or the platoons than they do this and i don't think that it would change much on the platoon side of things you're you're still having it 
three or four guys that are on your bench. It's not as if that's going to go away. That's still going to be a massive factor. No, but if you have the double hook and less guys on the bench, five than six, or four than five, there's a difference there. There, there really is. I not believe. much. Not much. Most I think teams that you notice through 162. I think enough you'd see through 162 games. I mean, who was the last guy on the Cardinals bench most of the year? And Moder- how often was he utilized a as lot. a platoon guy? Oh, moderate ton. I mean, no, platoon guy. No, he was their starting second baseman and shortstop. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Like they definitely, if you're a fan and you're frustrated, I think this by cuts it, teams from it. doing what San Francisco did. And I, San Francisco got sick and tired of Kapler. Sure. Where Kepler did like third inning, okay, Jack Peterson. So we're now making a rule for one team. Like, I just don't think there's very many teams that are doing what you're talking about. I think that the pitching side of things is something that every team in Major League Baseball. Hey, man, I'm just making baseball better. You can (laughs) stay over there with your platoon numbers. You're making BK angry. I know. I'm not. I'm not angry about it. I'm just trying to understand why we need to do it. I, I think you keep the roster at. If you want to go to 25, that's fine, and get rid of one of the pitchers. But really, you're just keeping the same number of position players in this in this situation. That's what I'm trying to say, is do that. If you stay with 26, they're going to carry an extra bench back. Sure. That's fine. And I hate that. That's fine. Um, I don't think that they're going to... I don't think they're going to do the double hook at all. I don't no, think that's something that they're going to end up changing. I think they'll probably go down, and what they'll do is... All they're going to change is they're going to go to one fewer pitchers, and then I don't think it's going to have the intended effect at all. And fans are going to continue to be frustrated by it, and we... We'll continue having the conversation about the actual move that you can do. People are going to have to hear us talk about this all the time and get frustrated. Can't you talk about anything else? It's the offseason, brother. We're, we're Hell yeah, brother. Coming up next, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Let's start with the big news from yesterday, Alex. Man, this sucked. Kirk Cousins goes down. You can immediately tell this is a big loss for him and that it's a significant injury. It's announced right after the game. Torn Achilles. Going to be out for the rest of the year. This is his free agent walk here. We don't know what the future holds for him. We don't know what the future holds for the Vikings. If you're the Vikings, Alex... Are you trying to go out there and make a move for a new quarterback, trying to continue to sustain this season, keep it up above board? Or do you just live with it and say, you know what? Justin Jefferson's hurt. He's trying to come back from his hamstring injury. Now we've got Kirk Cousins down. Let's take this season for what it is and call it a lost year. Yeah. Which route do you go? Call it a lost year. You still got your first round pick, if I'm correct. You're just bad. You're bad for the remainder of this year. Frankly, I would be very careful with getting Justin Jefferson back, making sure he's 100%. And look, You're in a position which nobody wants to be in, especially with Kirk Cousins. But now you're in a position to be bad the rest of the season and get a quarterback. And if it's his walk year, you walk away from Kirk Cousins if you feel like that's the best route to go. But you making a trade for a quarterback, first of all, who are the quarterbacks that are going to be available that can make that much of a difference for your team? Jacoby Brissett. But is that really going to make you a team that can win a Super Bowl? You're better off being bad without Jefferson and Cousins. You're going to be a top five, top three pick. Do you call? There's been reports that they're not trading him, so it's probably a moot discussion. But do you at least call on Kyler? No. I don't think that makes you a Super Bowl team. Especially I don't either, but he'll be, if you're planning on moving on from Cousins after the year, this would be more of a long-term play than a short-term one. I get It helps both, but that... I think I'm with you, Alex. I think that's what they do. They just they sit, stand pat, and you say this sucks, but 
if we weren't going to get a good year out of Cousins and Jefferson, we weren't going to be good this year. And now both of them are out for the foreseeable future. I, I think that's the way you play it, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think you got to hold Pat and just see where it goes with the backup that you got. You probably are going to get a higher draft pick. Hopefully you can get the franchise quarterback there. But like the Kyler conversation, I, Kyler's a good quarterback, but like, is he better than Kirk Cousins? I don't think so. And I don't think he's a guy that propels you moving forward. And there's nobody on the market that you trade for that. You say, okay, they make us a Super Bowl contender. I think it's the, a bummer, man. I think the he's best, having a good year. Best move for you is to try and get one of these quarterbacks in the top three. And if you still don't feel like you're in a good position, then maybe you sign Kirk Cousins for I, a one-year deal. I would re-sign Kirk Cousins. I know everybody hates him and thinks that he's not very good. Man, he's having a really good season. He it's clearly awesome. meshes well with um, at Jefferson and Addison, who's having a tremendous rookie year. TJ Hawkinson has really come on strong over the last few weeks since Jefferson went down. I think this offense is fine. They got to get a better offensive line, get that running game going a little bit, build around the defense, and you've got a legitimate contender in the NFC. I think Cousins is the last thing that's a problem. He is, but you haven't gotten it done with him, and you were spending a lot of money on him. You can allocate those funds elsewhere to make your team dominant everywhere, and you've got the offensive weapons around you. What are the odds of your next quarterback being better than Kirk Cousins? Because that's what it's got to be. They've got it. They can't just come in and be okay. They've got to be better than what you have right now. But if you keep Kirk Cousins, you're going to keep doing the same thing. Not if you find a way to build a defense with them. I think it's easier. You don't have money to do it. How many quarterbacks in the NFC right now are definitively better than Kirk Cousins over the next three years? Let's assume he comes back healthy definitively better like no doubt about it i would say one one hurts that's it i think that's probably correct i think maybe two if you have a healthy matt stafford i think stafford is better than kirk cousins and then you're stuck in that muddy middle with like dak Who i knows think what I, I just is. not all that dissimilar to jared goff to dak prescott um and look at car i'm i'm not crapping Brock on Purdy. kirk cousins because he is a very good quarterback but you've been doing the same song and dance year after year after year you've got the best wide receiver in the game you just drafted another one you had the best running back in the game and what have been what's been the narrative your defense isn't good enough well you don't have money to do anything with this defense and your drafting isn't doing it i, I just if you can get a top three pick and feel like you could put a quarterback in the system that works with jefferson addison osborne hawkinson and madison then I would go that route and put all of those monies for the quarterback towards the defense. I think what you're saying is more likely. I think what you're saying is probably what they will do. I think you can make a stronger case than what many would suggest with keeping Kirk Cousins. All right. Speaking of quarterback decisions and building around a veteran versus turning things over to the young guy. Hot damn. Will Levis didn't know you had that in you. Impressive performance yesterday by Will Levis in his first start for the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill out with the injury. Will Levis comes in, throws for 240 yards, four touchdowns, does what I think any young quarterback should do in that situation. Say, hey, where's DeAndre Hopkins? I'm going to throw it to that guy repeatedly all day long. Hopkins had what was almost certainly his best game of the year. Did you see enough from Will Levis in that game to say, you know what? Even when Ryan Tannehill gets back, Will Levis is our starting quarterback. I saw enough from Will Levis to say trade Ryan Tannehill. I I mean, why wouldn't you? Like, this season hasn't been good for you. Your best route is to develop this quarterback into a guy who could be a starter for you potentially. Now, I would be very worried if I'm the Titans that, well, yeah, that game plan's not going to work next week because they know I'm going to be throwing to DeAndre Hopkins. But, yeah, I mean, Ryan Tannehill comes back. I haven't seen anything this season, frankly, the last couple of seasons from him that makes you believe you're going anywhere. Give it the reins to Will Levis and says, you're, you're rodeo now, kid. Go out there and prove it. And if we're bad, we'll develop around you.
yeah, I, I think you got to stick with him. I, I think you start him even when Tannehill's back, and I agree with you. I'd probably look to try and trade Ryan Tannehill. Honestly, he would make a ton of sense for the Vikings if he's healthy to go get him. But I, he was the most impressive quarterback that I've seen in the, what have they played, seven games now for the Titans? Yeah. He was really good, and they're, they don't want to admit it, but they're retooling or rebuilding. It, it's whatever they want to call it. It's a re-something. <laughs> it, you got to go to a younger quarterback. You got to find out what you have in Will Levis. You found out last year in like two games that Malik Willis was not the guy. Maybe Will Levis is, and then you don't have to continue the search for a quarterback. Next one up. Yesterday, enough for the Chiefs to decide, you know what, probably best for us to make a change at wide receiver. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, scored, and guess what? The guy that did it against you is available via trade. Yeah, you ain't lying. They scored nine points on the road at Denver. A game that we all at least gave consideration to taking the Chiefs in that one. I told T-Bone before the show, I'm not sure I would take them because the line is so big and it's the second time that these two teams have met in three weeks. I was pretty confident, though, that the Chiefs would win the game. They end up losing the game outright and looked terrible from start to finish. Alex, they have now scored 23 or fewer points in five of the eight games that they've played so far this year. They scored 23 or fewer three times all of last season. That's post Tyree kill. It's not like the roster has turned over that much. They just lost Juju Smith-Schuster. Do they need to add a wide receiver before tomorrow's trade deadline? Yeah, if you don't, I mean, this is what you're going to be the rest of the season. Now, I correct me if I'm wrong, because you know about no more about this team than I do. They also look like they got an offensive line problem. I don't feel that way at all. I, I think the offensive line's fine. I think Mahomes is holding on to the ball way it, it just too feels long like, because he doesn't trust his receivers. It feels like guys keep getting in his way, though. Like yesterday, it felt like every time he would try to scramble, the offensive linemen were standing right there turning into a brick wall for him. A lot of that was on Mahomes. Probably. I don't think Mahomes has played particularly well this year. But it's so it's it's just wild to me how one week you see it, and obviously it's because Travis Kelsey goes off, but like he's making plays with these guys that you didn't know much about, and then the next week it looks like he doesn't have a guy who can catch a ball. Maybe that's some Mahomes is just not trusting these guys, or maybe it is these guys not getting available. The problem with this is you're you're going to have to spend, but you're going to have to spend mightily to get this wide receiver because everybody knows what you need. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they need one. I don't think you have to go out there and get a stud though. Like you don't I'd have agree. to go get DeAndre Hopkins. Get uh, what's his face from New England, Kendrick Bourne, right? I tweeted out BK this on that one. You literally ruined his Go season. Go get somebody like uh, Kendrick Bourne. And then three minutes later, it was tweeted that he has a torn ACL. I Wait, missed yeah. yesterday you know that he got hurt. Why not go try for like a KJ Osborne from Minnesota? Yeah, that, that'd be great. Somebody like that. Like, just go get a guy that can be trustworthy. Like, I think the perfect landing spot is Hunter, Renf- Hunter Renfro. He has no role whatsoever on the Raiders. They're trying to give him away for free. They're trying to do with him what the Cardinals did with Adolis Garcia. Somebody, anybody, take him from our roster because we don't think this guy can play. Wow, you didn't have to bring now, him Now, much up. like Adolis Garcia, you're hoping yeah, you that he can become what he once was. I think Hunter Renfro would be, for me, the number one option that I'd be looking for. Third and six, can this guy get open? Yes, I know Hunter Renfro can. So that would be my well, number one target. We are forgetting, though, that Mahomes did have the flu yesterday. I'm not forgetting that. It's not a one-off. If this was a one-game sample where they looked bad offensively, I would totally believe You're saying that. he's but had the flu all season? I think he hasn't played very well this year. It was crazy to me that he was the betting favorite for the MVP going into last week. I, I think that's nonsense. I don't think he's been, like, a top three quarterback in the NFL this season. Now, some of this is adjusted because quarterback play around the league has been bad, but he has not been anywhere close to what his previous expectations were. Not this year yet. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. They need to add somebody. It doesn't have to be a big name because they do need somebody that he trusts more than just Travis Kelsey. And I, 
Kelsey's been good this year, but it has been a little erratic at times, too. So I, I think they need somebody. And I think part of the reason that Kelsey's numbers are a bit erratic is because he's the lone guy. Teams can double him. Yeah. And then they just say, OK, beat us with your wide receivers. And that's where you get to the point of what you're saying about Mahomes. And he's just got to hold on to the football for so long. Last night or yesterday, running around doing twirls in the backfield, trying to get to somebody open. That They desperately need somebody to go in there and help Somebody them. on the text line said, guys, what happened? Last week, you all said that the Chiefs were no doubt the best team in the league yeah they lost to the broncos that's what I, happened <laughs> also i i kind of still feel that way like i i think that the chiefs it'd be really hard for them to win the super bowl with this current crop of wide receivers i still think they're the best team in the afc every team in the afc has a stinker on their schedule so far this year every single one of them yesterday happened to be that day for the chiefs if they continued with this exact same roster the rest of the way i think they win like 12 games if their defense wasn't as good as it is i would be saying 100%. a totally mm-hmm. different tune yeah, they're the most complete team because they have a very good defense. They've got special teams that if you watched the game yesterday, you wouldn't have felt this way. But for the most part, have been really good for them so far this year. They had a clunker. They had an absolute clunker, just the way that it's most cold. of the teams around the NFL have so far this year. It's cold. Yeah. Altitude, flu, cold. <laughs> Come on, man. You knew it was going to happen. It was a really, really bad performance. I mean, yesterday, the Eagles, who I think are excellent, once again beat the Commanders by one score. They've struggled against the Jets this year. They struggled earlier this season against the Patriots and the Vikings. Like, there's a lot of teams around the league that are not playing as well as you would expect them to. I still think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. I think the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. Watch out for the Bengals, though. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, what does it mean for the Blues, both in the short and the long term, Alex? If this Thomas and Cairo thing can end up coming together, we'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll get into the junk drawer here in just a little bit. But Alex, yesterday, as the Blues took the ice for morning skate, they decided to juggle up the lines. The top line at skate yesterday was Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kapanen, which is a very new look line for the Blues. It's been Thomas and Kairou together so far this season. Second line, Saad, Shin, and Kairou. Then you've got your typical third line back together. Vrana, Hayes, and Neighbors with the fourth line. They're going with Blay, Alexandrov, and Sunquist. Torpchenko wasn't skating. It sounded like this is something that maybe he could end up playing, might miss a game, but didn't sound like it's anything serious in terms of the injury for Torpchenko. I wanted to focus on the top six. Thomas and Cairo officially broken up for the first time this season at a morning skate. Alex, what does it mean for the Blues, both in terms of the short and long term? If those guys can't work together, if they can't play together for this team? I mean, I don't really think there's any ramifications. Like short term, it's you're at least going to hope it benefits you. And if it does, then you're going to go right back to it because you're not getting anything from them together right now. I mean, Kyrie's got one goal on the season. Thomas has got one goal on the season. That should be a lot more than where it's at right now. So short term, it's only going to benefit you. Long term is the bigger issue here because long term, you've built the future around these two kids. And there's nothing saying that Thomas and Kairou can't play on different lines. I mean, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have success by putting one guy with another top player and uh, Nylander playing with another top player. Like the, the benefit is you've got top four guys who are all elite. Colorado, like they put Rantanen and Matthews, or not Matthews, and McKinnon together. And when Landeskog has been healthy, he's playing on the second line. So it's beneficial, 
But your problem is you've got to get other players who can perform with those guys. I like the idea. I've always said, for some reason, Kyru seems to perform better when he plays with Braden Shen. Not so much in in terms of offense, because, I mean, we've seen 40 goals for Jordan Kyru happens when playing with Robert Thomas. But there's just more of a consistent offensive threat when Kyru's played with Braden Shen in the past. And Thomas and Buchnevich have done that. The issue, long term, is who's that other top player that brings those guys to the next level? Because Buchnevich's future is unsure. Right now, I mean, you're relying on Brandon Saad, who is a good guy to throw in there every once in a while, but you need to dip down. You're looking for somebody else to step up and make that dynamic line with Thomas and Kairu if they're separate. And they might have it in a Snuggerud and a Dvorsky, but guys, that Calvary's not coming for three to four years to act like those guys are going to be that much of a difference maker with those players. It's really concerning to me if this ends up being something where those guys can't play together. And I'm not sure that that is the case yet. I feel like we still need some time to determine whether or not that is the case. But at this point, with so many issues simultaneously popping up, it's almost as if you got to eliminate that as a potential variable, right? Where you look at it and you say, okay, what is the thing that's been a constant for us so far this season? And one of the constants has been, Kyrou Thomas, Kyrou Thomas, Kyrou Thomas, Kyrou. Th- All right, let's break that up. Let's see if this ends up getting something going for us. Long term, though, they have to work together. That's your one chance to have a top line that can go up against the best of the best. You're paying those guys eight million dollars to work together. They have always been considered a pairing, right? And now you're looking at it, and I don't know if they are or aren't. But it is something that has to be determined by the end of the season. And if they can't work together, you might have to choose. It may come to a place where you say, okay, can we have both of these guys making $8 million per year if they're not going to be on the same line together on that top line? Somebody on the text line said, guys, I'm not saying the situations are the same, but did Malkin and Crosby ever play on the same line? The reason why I think they're incredibly different is because those guys are both centers. This is where you've got a winger and a center. And they're not potentially, they're not building up the chemistry that we all thought that they could at some point. So that that's where I do think it is a bit different between what well, that was a lot different from that to this. So I look back at last season on natural stat trick, 57 games played that the line of Thomas Kyrou and Buchnevich were together. Uh, and they had 35 high danger scoring chances for 42 high danger chances against. It's tough to judge because last year we all know defensively. And I think Robert, Tom, I think Jordan Kyrou has made significant improvements on the defensive side of the game. But I look at Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich that played together. We're talking about a 37 high danger scoring chance in 10 games less that they played together without Jordan Cairo. And then you can look at this with Thomas and Cairo together. They had offense, but it was less than what Robert Thomas and Buchnevich has been. Like the trend so far is in certain situations, you can look at it and you say, okay, we need a jolt. Let's put Thomas and Cairo back together. But when it's been that long stretch of time, it hasn't worked in the Blues' favor. And their fallback in the last couple of years has been, okay, well, we got Ryan O'Reilly. Throw him up there. Okay, we got Vladimir Tarasenko. Throw him up there. Now we're talking about Kapanen. Now we're talking about Jakub Verana. We're talking about um, Brandon Saad. We're talking about Braden Shen. Like these guys aren't to that level of what Tarasenko and O'Reilly have provided you. The season really was like, okay, we're relying on Thomas and Kyra to take that next step. And some of this might just be on the line, mate. Like Buchnevich hasn't really clicked with those two guys. Brandon Saad had one and a half good games with those guys, and then it fell off. 
you're also looking for somebody else to play with them. But if they're not going to be connected and you're relying on somebody else on that third line to be connected, now you're basically looking at an individual line, which is why they're shifting to this. I really like the idea of Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kapanen because you've got two guys that can retrieve the puck. Thomas can play make. I like the idea of Kairou with Braden Shen. It comes down to what Brandon Saad provides there. The issue is you can't rely on this for 82-plus games and hope to be a contender if these guys aren't at their elite level. How many top-line players do the Blues currently have on their roster? Like, if they, if you took them off of the Blues roster and put them onto a contender, how many of their current forwards would you say would be a part of the equation when it comes to the top line? I mean, it, it's situational, but, like, the contenders that I'm thinking of, like, let's just say the Western Conference right now, Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, I would even throw Vancouver in after what we saw. None. They go, all those teams have better players. I mean, you're talking about Robertson, Pavelski, Hints with Dallas. You're talking about McKinnon and Rantanen. And, I mean, pick your poison with the Colorado Avalanche. And then, I mean, even if you want to take that next step down and look at Vancouver, none of those guys are stepping in over Pedersen, stepping in over Brock Besser, or stepping in over JT Miller. And the reason why I say that is because I think in the past, Buchnevich has been that guy. I would have pointed at him and said, man, a contender out there, they're they're going to put Buchnevich on their top line because of how great he is as a two-way player. I haven't seen it this year from him. He hasn't looked the same. Maybe some of that is working back from stuff, but I don't think Buchnevich has gotten off to a great start so far this year. I think he would admit as much. I think Jordan Kyra has been really, really good, but I think on an ideal scenario, because even with his improved play defensively this year, he's still not a great defensive player. That's okay. He's probably on a second line for most legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. I don't think Thomas... Kapanen, Saad, or Shin are anything more than third liners with the way that they've played so far this year. This can change, but with the way that they've played so far this year on legitimate contending teams. So we're talking about two guys that are in your top six right now that would be in a contender's top six. That's just not good enough. And I kind of pushed back on the idea in the offseason that Dom had put out there of, hey, the Blues don't have enough forwards. We were like, yeah, they're, they're overflowing with options. It's kind of looking like the Cardinals outfield. Yeah, you got a lot of names. How many of these guys are legitimate like starting level outfielders, though, for contending teams? I don't know. Maybe none with what they're, they're doing so far this year. And the same thing seems to be true with the Blues forward group. I just wanted to pull this up real quick just to look at it. So that game against Vancouver, uh, they had Pedersen playing with Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. So these are two guys that you'd look at and you say, I'd probably put Kairou and Buchnevich up there. But the reason that that line you look at and you say, well, I'm not going to put Kairou or Buch in there is because they've developed chemistry together. I mean, you saw what Pedersen did. Then you look at their other top six, JT Miller with Brock Besser, they have D Giuseppe in there. You'd probably throw a Cairo on that line any day of the week, but they built chemistry together. So it's not so much of would you put these guys on that line as it is, do they fit on that line? And what Craig Berube tries to establish with his line combinations is a playmaker, a goal scorer, and a puck retriever. The problem has been you you haven't had a puck retriever with Thomas and Cairo. They match the identity that they're looking for. It's just Buchnevich and Saad have not been that puck retrieval player. So now you're separating them to have the playmaker, the goal scorer, and the puck retriever on all lines. And and hopefully it works. Maybe this is exactly what they ended up needing, where Shin makes sense because he's going to stand in front of the net. Kairou makes sense with Shin because he's going to be the shooter. And now you've got Saad who can be that puck retriever. Kapanen can be the puck retriever. Buchnevich is a guy that can score. I do wonder if there's going to be too much distributing, though. Once again, between be. Thomas, Kai, or Kapanen, and Buchnevich, it's something that I've wondered a lot about. They they just have a lot of guys that distribute, and they need guys that just put the puck in the back of the net. And 
these guys have the skill set to be that, and they just haven't been willing, unfortunately, so far this year. So hopefully that changes. Blues off for the next couple of days back in action on Wednesday night in Colorado. It doesn't get any easier from here. Alex will have pregame coverage for that one. Wednesday night against the Avs. Coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, we'll give you a chance to score a pair of tickets to see Blink-182 on August 10th at Enterprise Center. That is one that Alex is very excited about. So we'll get into how you can win those tickets coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. T-Bone, I'm BK. T-Bone, what do you got for us in the junk drawer today? All right, so we know, we've talked about it a couple times, about the Netflix series quarterback where they followed Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes, and eh, Marcus Mariota. Uh, he was there. Uh, he was there wow. for a little bit. Come on. And, and then he went uh, I saw the report last week that LeBron James is in talks with Netflix and Omaha Productions to try and start a series that is similar to quarterback that will be where they follow the lives of NBA players. And I'm curious, who would you want to see on that show? This is a good one. James Harden. <laughs> is he your version of Marcus Mariota? We're halfway through. He's gone. For the rest yeah, of the year. But I'd call that a lot more entertaining than Marcus Mariota. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would love to see like women Yam just because it's first year over from uh, France, right? Mm. I think he would be cool to just see kind of that learning curve that comes to coming to the States, being here in the NBA being a freak of nature. I think it's easier to tell you the people that I wouldn't want to see on it. Like, I don't want to see Kawhi Leonard on that. It'd be about as boring of a show as you can ask for. I don't want to see, like, Steph Curry on there. I actually think Jason Tatum would be really good on it. Tatum would be fun. I I actually think Steph might be good on it. I think Steph is... I think Clay's kind Steph of Steph is kind of like Patrick. Oh, I disagree. I think Clay's oh, really? really interesting. I think that Clay's we don't more interesting get the interesting stuff. stuff, but I think Clay's actually a really interesting. Steph dude. is so much like Patrick Mahomes to me, to where it's like, like I know who you are, and like it's fun, it's fine, let's move on. I think Joel Embiid would be great. Joel Embiid like would be this. good. I think Giannis would be good. I think he's got a chance to be really he good. He feels at this boring too. too, though. Like Dame really? feels a little bit more exciting than Giannis. Dame actually would be really interesting on this because he's on the new team, a contender yeah. for the first time in a while. Yeah. I could see something like that working out really well. Um, I'd just like to see how Anthony Davis keeps that brow in place. Like, you, you trimming? Like, special care just to that? I think Kevin Durant might be okay with this. You'd be one that I, I if yeah. you got him to open up, <laughs> you could potentially get something that's interesting here because KD sure. is honest. Now, you might not like him, but KD will give you his honest thoughts about stuff. And now that he is kind of seeing his, he talked about it yesterday or the other day when the Suns played against the Lakers, kind of saw like, hey, listen, my basketball mortality is not all that far away. I do think that when guys see the end on the horizon, sometimes they are willing to say things and do things that they otherwise would not have been previous. Yeah. So I can see him being honestly, I'd be I'd be more intrigued with like the coaching side of this one. Like Greg Popovich would be really interesting on one of these. Like get a coach player and then rookie that would be really kind of cool to get that dynamic because Popovich would be interesting now probably wouldn't be very fun it'd probably be like following Bill Belichick around but he'd be interesting I would like to see like like Jason Tatum as a star you could get Tatum as the Patrick Mahomes of this 
get like a role player, a really good role player, kind of a third piece on a good contending team, like a Devin Booker, right? Who's a, you could argue a star in his own right. I say that's a we're... say more like a sixth man. You're kind but, of thinking of. Yeah. Chris Paul might be interesting in something like this, actually. Yeah. A guy that was a superstar in the league that now has to take a back step because he's got other stars that are carrying his own team. He's probably the fourth best player on his current team. You could make an argument, maybe even the fifth best player at this point. Chris Chris Paul would be interesting in something like this. And then a guy that plays a little bit, but is maybe the seventh man in a rotation would also be really good. Or even a guy that's kind of going up and down between the G League and the NBA. That yeah. could make for some compelling It'd be tough television. to find one of those guys, though. Because yeah, you got to sure. find someone that's actually has somewhat of a name that goes up and down, but most of those guys don't go up and for down sure. if you have it's a name It's hard to predict this early in the season when you yeah. have to decide who you're going to go after. Yeah, when I was thinking role player, I was thinking like Grayson Allen was like who I was thinking. Seventh man off the bench, someone like that. I could see something like that working out well. I do think it's interesting. I, I would like to see more of this stuff. Yeah. Like, do this in every sport, man. Have this as a part of the NHL season. Have this as a part of Major League Baseball. The tough part about those is that they're just so long. There's so much that goes into them. It's like a hockey season. It's like you'd have to like do it for a chunk of time and then move past it. That's one thing that the NFL has going for it, man, is that it's once a week. Mm-hmm. And you follow those games and you can kind of skip through portions of the season. That's that is the positive about it. But um, I, I like that. I like that leagues are starting to get more open. About Still stick stuff. with my James Harden pick. It would be amazing. I really like that. one. See what his offseason eating habits are. Who Come was our on. guy with the lemon pepper chicken that he got it from a strip club? Oh, Lou God. Williams? Yeah, Lou Williams. Yeah. Let's get some Lou, Lou pepper Lou. up in here. Is he the one that got kicked out of the yeah. bubble? Lemon <laughs> pepper Lou. Yeah, for going to the strip club back in Atlanta. Oh, Fantastic. Lou. Coming up next, defense is proving to be quite an important piece of the baseball postseason. What does that mean for the Cardinals? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. So Alex, I don't know how, how much of the games you were able to see over the weekend. I know you had a lot of wedding festivities going on. I did. Thanks for, um, the woods. thanks for kind of taking a, a subtle low blow to me, making it seem like I don't work hard. Appreciate that. <laughs> why don't you prepare for the show, man? Yeah, you're right. Seriously. Yeah. The well, reason why, why I bring do you have it another up life? is because defense was incredibly important over the weekend. Should have been paying attention to this yeah, right here. Yeah. And when you look at the way that these teams are constructed, they were both very good defensive teams this season, both in the top four and defensive runs saved. And some of that is because of bounce back seasons by guys like Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon for the Rangers. Uh, the Diamondbacks have, according to defensive runs saved, at least the best defensive catcher in the sport with Gabriel Moreno. He completely changed uh, the way that they were able to operate this year. Defense is proving to be quite important for these teams. When you think about what that means for the Cardinals, and I'm thinking specifically about the outfield because these teams are great defensively in the outfield. Alec Thomas, center field, what he's done. Garcia in the outfield for the Rangers as well. How do you think that plays into your offseason plans if you're John Mosaylock? For the outfield? 
for the defense, just trying yeah. to get this team back on track. Uh, I mean, like you break it down in, into parts, like the catcher, you're, one, you're not going to get there, and two, if the Yachty thing is real, this is why you're pursuing that. I think your infield is going to be great next year. I'm not worried about that with Mason Wynn now, and you know Nolan Arenado, if healthy, is going to be fine. You're set there. It comes down to the outfield, and, and I was arguing with somebody on our Air Comfort Service text line, which is always fun to do on a Monday. You should try it. But they were talking about how this team has an overabundance of outfielders, and you should trade to get pitchers. Guys, I don't know about you, but I think they've got two outfielders next season. You've got guys who you could put into that spot, like a Donovan and a Tommy Edman. You've got Burleson who could play there for you in a pinch. But you've got Jordan Walker and Lars Newtbar, and that's about it. And I feel good about those two pieces, but it's the center fielder that makes me most nervous. And when you think about these two teams in the postseason, you're, we always talk about up the middle and being so dominant. That's where these teams have been. And catcher, to be determined, Middle infield, you're good. Center field, Tommy Edmond is fine, but I'm not sure if Tommy Edmond is the center fielder of a, of a World Series contender. The biggest thing with these two teams is that they don't have any one spot in their lineup where you look at them defensively and say to yourself, oh God, please don't hit the ball there. Because when you have that guy in your lineup, and the Cardinals did for much of the season, either in left or right field, a lot of it was in right field with Jordan Walker, you're just waiting for the extra bases. Just waiting for it. And last, not this past season, but in 2021, I felt that way with Gorman as well. I was like, please don't hit a ground ball to second base. I just don't know what that's going to look like. Gorman's really good at turning too. And now he's become a more than capable defensive-minded second baseman as well. I think Walker is going to get to next year where Nolan Gorman was in 2023. Agreed. Whereas he's passable. He's not, he's not going to be going out there and making all of these terrible defensive plays He's going to make most of the plays that you expect him to. Yeah, there's going to be a couple of gaffes here or there where he misjudges a, a fly ball to right. But overall, I think he'll be average. I think he'll be average defensively for you next year. That is a massive improvement from where he was last year. And I think you have to figure out center field. I think that's the biggest thing for this team. I feel fine about their infield. Shortstop going into next year. I don't know what Mason Wynn's going to be like offensively. Defensively, I know he's going to be good. I think Arenado's going to have a bounce back season. Goldie's great. Catcher, if if they've got Yadi or Molina, I'm not worried about Wilson Contreras next year. They have to figure out what they're going to do in center field because I don't think Lars Newbar is your long-term answer there. I, I think the one guy that is currently on the roster that can play it and be a plus center fielder defensively is Tommy Edmond. And they have to decide, is that what we want to do? Do we want to go out and find somebody else? Do we have our center fielder of the future on this roster? Real quick, T-Bone, the one thing that I think the outfield has going for them, at least with these two guys, is you've got arm strength. You've got two guys that can throw guys out on the base paths, which is a good thing. The one thing I'm concerned about is the routes that they take two balls. In center field, you know you've got Tommy Edmond, but you've got the arm strength that I'm a little more concerned about. So like it's it's kind of a, a, a scale in the sense of I feel good in one spot, but my center field I'm a little skeptical of, but I know the routes are there. Yeah, and I, I think with Walker, I agree with BK. I think he's going to be average at minimum next year. And that that's what you got to come down to is if you're the front office, how much do you weigh his defensive, not so much his arm strength, but his route running ability going into next year? You hope that he takes, it's a different position, I get it. You hope he takes a step that Nathaniel Loud took with the Texas Rangers. He was terrible at first base last year. Really got at it, worked at it in the offseason, and now he's an above average defensive run saves first baseman. Different position, but you hope Walker can do that in right field. And depending on what your answer is there, I think that's how you determine what your stopgap answer is in center field on this year's team. Because you know Victor Scott's the guy long term. It's just a matter of who's going to be the stopgap guy until Scott's ready. I think right now it is Tommy Edmond. But if you think that Walker is is a guy that's so reliable, such a negative defensive player, I think you got to go out and get a proven 
gold glove, defensive-minded center fielder, you need to cut down Walker's range a bit. And how do you do that? You get an elite defensive center fielder that has the arm strength as well. And if if Walker gets to average, I think you can kind of pass Edmund there. He's going to get to a lot of balls. Arm strength then not as much of a concern as long as he's getting to the balls that are in the air and cutting down those doubles. But I think Walker's the only guy that I I have a question of, okay, He's the guy that t- determines what you're doing this offense or this offseason defensively because you just got to admit Contreras is not going to get better. Like you hope he takes a little bit of a step up in framing and blocking, but he's not going to be Yadier Molina. Even if you bring Yadier in to work with him, you know for a fact that that is going to be a defensive liability in your lineup. Somebody on the text line says their plan in center field next year is probably just to patch things together long enough for Victor Scott to take that job. I think their plan will be potentially what it was this year at, at shortstop. Where you say, Tommy Edmond, you're the starting shortstop for us until Mason Wynn gets here. Now, ultimately, there was a bit of a detour on that path where Paul DeYoung became the starting uh, shortstop for this team. But they don't really have in center field what Paul DeYoung was for them at shortstop unless Dylan Carlson comes back. And then that's a different conversation entirely. Um, But I I think Tommy Edmond will be in center field what he was supposed to be last year at shortstop. He's going to be the guy that maintains that job, especially against left-handed pitching. And when he's out there, you feel good about what you have defensively there. And then eventually Victor Scott hopefully will be able to come up and hit the ground running as your starting center fielder of the present and the future. I I do think that Tommy Edmond, for me, would be my starting center fielder on opening day. I would have Lars Dupar in left, I would have Jordan Walker in right, and I would have Tommy Edmond in center field. I think defense needs to matter again in the outfield for them. And if that is the case, your best guy to start out there for you defensively is indeed Tommy Edmond. And what that means is you probably have Brendan Donovan as your DH early on next season. I don't think that's a terrible thing. Yeah, I think Brendan Donovan showed you this year he's more than capable of playing as your DH. And when you need a day off for Goldie or Arenado or one of those guys in the outfield, well, Brendan Donovan could go out there and play in those roles, but he's probably the guy that's getting the most reps as your designated hitter early on in next season. By the way, a lot of the guys that we just brought up their names could be factored into some of the trade discussions in the offseason. Bob Nightingale put together his news piece last night. And part of that piece, the notes was the top pitchers that he expects to be available on the trade market this offseason. Are you guys curious to hear the names that are potentially going to be available? I bet they're nothing like what we've heard before. So according to general managers who spoke to Bob Nightingale on the condition of anonymity, Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers, Tyler Glass now of the Tampa Bay Rays, and Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Guardians are expected to be the top pitchers that are available on the trade market this offseason. Trade for all three, and you're a World Series contender. I don't think Burns is an option for you because he's in oh, the division. really? Why? We have spent a lot of time talking about Tyler Glass now. We have varying degrees of interest, I would say, in Tyler Glass now. We have not spent much time at all on Shane Bieber since he got hurt and missed most of the second half of the season. That's why. <laughs> Would you guys be interested in trading for Shane Bieber on an expiring deal projected to make $12 million next year? I'd be interested, but I need to get a little bit more of an understanding what you're trading away. Because if it's one of the Donovan, Newt Bar, Gorman, Burleson, you're definitely not trading one of your big time. And that's what I mean by that. But I mean, I don't know. Does Cleveland say it's this or nothing? That's where I say and no. I would, and I would go, <laughs> jokes yeah. on you, you're not getting anything <laughs> from anybody of that Alec caliber. Burleson, yeah, I'd consider that because he legitimately could be a three at best. Maybe he looks like a two for you, but I would trade that. So I would do it. I would trade a Burleson for Shane Bieber if, this is the big if, 
he's that third starter that's brought in. He cannot be one of your top two upgrades, especially after the red alarm bells that were going off this year that though his his numbers were good, the underlying numbers were not very good. And Velo was down again, too, if I'm not mistaken. So that's why I would say I don't mind the move for Shane Bieber, but I don't want him to be in the top two. I don't want it to be Aaron Nola, Shane Bieber, and then here's what we got as our number three in this offseason. No, he needs to be that third guy, and then you still go get a Nola, a Gray, a Yamamoto, those kind of guys on the market. I wonder if they would do a Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson trade for um, for Shane Bieber as well. Tyler O'Neill would be a really interesting. That that's two guys that could use a change of scenery and just getting healthy going into next year. Both of them, I believe, going on to expiring deals. If I'm not mistaken, there's not as turf well. in Cleveland, right? I'm not that I'm, not that I'm yeah. aware of. So that's good. That that could be there, a though. an interesting potential trade. I, I think Burleson's the guy that makes the most sense here. More control makes sense in the long term plans of a team like Cleveland. But that's probably the range you're probably you're looking at there. I think I would do it. They'll I be looking for it. offense. It, I do agree with you, three. though. Number three. Yeah, number he's three an elite starter. number three and an okay number two. And that's that's your issue. You can't be okay in one or two. You have to be elite in one, two, or great in one, two. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. One four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Wouldn't even know that Alex had seventeen packs of cigarettes yesterday oh, with the way that he was able to sing that gone. one. All right, guys, in or out is the game that we are playing. If you guys have any suggestions, get them in now on the text line. In or out, we will see neither the Chiefs nor the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl this year. Neither the Chiefs or the the Eagles will end up in the Super Bowl. In or out? I'm going to say in on this one. I I really right now I'm looking at the NFC at least and thinking Detroit, San Francisco slid off a little bit. Dallas went back into the conversations after back-to-back weeks where Dak has looked really good. I'm thinking one of those two teams might offset the Philadelphia Eagles. And unless the Kansas City Chiefs make a trade before, what is it, tomorrow to bring in a legit wide receiver, I think Cincinnati might start making some noise towards the end of the season. I think I'm in on that too because I th- I think I think Philly will get there. I'm not sure there's a team in the NFC. I know they've had a lot of close calls, including this weekend. I'm not sure I've seen a team this yet in the NFC that I think can beat Philadelphia. In the AFC, I've seen if Josh Allen ever has a jo- like a real Josh Allen game, the Bills can beat Kansas City. They can. Um, I'm curious what they do at the deadline because you know they're going to do something. It, I think Cincinnati is a team that can, I mean we've seen they can definitely beat them. Baltimore I think could beat Kansas City in the right day. So I I would say I'm in on this just because I'm not sure Kansas City is a team that will get there. I think one of the two at a minimum will end up in the Super Bowl. I don't. I'm wavering on both. The Eagles have just shown too many weaknesses so far this I think year. Detroit can beat Philadelphia. I think they can. When I, I mean, healthy. I think Detroit can. I think San Francisco can. I think Seattle can beat them. I don't know that. I, I certainly would not pick them to do yeah, so. That's going to be a can shootout. can they reach up and beat them? Absolutely. So, I mean, this past weekend, we saw the the commanders give them troubles. 
We've seen their secondary get torn apart at times. We've seen their offense have moments where it looks difficult for them. It just doesn't look as easy as it did a year ago for the Eagles. And then with the Chiefs, it's strange to say, but it's all the offense. I don't have a whole lot of questions about this defense. They turned the ball over, was it five times yesterday? And that is why you lost that football game. It had very little to do with the defense. Defense was great. Once again, they had a bunch of short fields and they gave up some points. Yeah, that's kind of how it works sometimes in the NFL. So if the Chiefs offense can get back on track, they can absolutely go to the Super Bowl. They should probably be the favorite. But um, I'll say one of them ends up not getting to the Super Bowl. So um, I think one of them gets there. Alex? Guys, in or out over the next week, Tory Krug or Nick Letty will be a healthy scratch. Oh, absolutely. And I think it'll be Nick Letty. I think there's a chance Nick Letty's a healthy scratch going into the next game. Based Wednesday's on what game their, against Colorado. What their lines looked like yesterday at practice. So I'm in. He's referencing, by the way, Letty was with Tucker, and uh, it was Perunovic with Bortuzzo. I think I'm in, too, because I could see Letty. I don't know if they'll put Krug up in the press box, and I know nobody wants to hear this, and we've heard that, you know, the Blues aren't going to deal with anything this year. I'm not sure they'll put Krug in the contract up in the press box. I don't think they will. I think they they could definitely put Letty up there, for sure. third on the team in ice time. Who, Krug? Mm -hmm. Playing a lot of penalty kill. And that's where I would fall on this one. Letty's played penalty kill as well. I'm in on this. I, I think... The way you saw those pairings in the pra- in the practice yesterday, and they're off today, they'll practice tomorrow. I think Bruby's got two new third pairs. It's Perunovic and Bortuzzo and Letty and Tucker. I think they're going to give a real shot, which he's deserved. Marco Scandella with Pareko. Scandella's been incredible on that third pair. I'm a little surprised Krug and Falk still together because I think Perunovic would have gotten a shot up there. But I, I think in the next game, it's probably going to be one of Perunovic or Bortuzzo or Letty and Tucker. And it's just a matter of if you're going to see that. So maybe not against Colorado, but I said this week, it wouldn't surprise me if you see Nick Letty up in the press box for a game. T-Bone? In or out, Missouri will finish in the top 15 in the last college football playoff rankings this season. They just came in in the latest AP poll at 14. Finish in the top 15. Let me go back to last year to see what that meant, uh, just to find out, okay, how many losses are allowed for you to finish in the top? I almost said top 10, yeah, but then I was like, well, when you lose to Georgia, you're not going to be able to get top 10. You can, get, you can basically finish with three losses. Who and, had three last year? Uh, so the, the teams that were around what you're talking about, 10 to 15 last year, Utah, Florida State, USC, Clemson, K-State, Oregon, LSU. That's roughly okay. that range. They all finished with somewhere between three and four losses. I'm going to say in, I am, we'll get into this here in a minute, hemorrhaging confidence going into this upcoming weekend against Georgia. So I'm going to go ahead and write that in pencil as a loss. get that you looked at by a doctor. You should have heard him in the office. George is coming. Oh, George is coming. He's a little scared. I think Mizzou could win out after that, though. And that's how you end up with two or three losses, depending on what happens in the bowl game. What's with so. your unwavering confidence, man? I ain't scared of no bulldogs. After our guy in Georgia making his comments on Friday, yeah. Bulldogs are coming. The Tigers are just going to be like, rah, 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 turn them into little chihuahuas. So you think in? Yeah. Top in. 15? Mm-hmm. I think I'll say in too. Because if you end up with just two losses to Georgia and LSU, I mean, LSU's already top 15 and they've got two losses. Um, I think you get, you finish in the top 15 because you'll have wins over um, – Tennessee, who's ranked at the time, probably, unless they lay an egg somewhere. Kansas State, who was ranked at the time. Was Kentucky ranked when they beat them? I, I don't believe so. So you've got two at least top 25 wins in they there. They were. They were 24. Yeah, okay, were so three. So you got three top 25 wins and just two losses. And though the SEC is down, you beat some pretty good teams along the way. 
I think, yeah, I think there's a really good chance they finish top 15 by That's the awesome, end of the man. year. That's a hell of a season. Hell yeah. Meanwhile, Illinois, we're just trying to avoid bottom 15. Out of 130. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you're like trending D2 level right now. Let's continue our conversation with college football. (laughs) The college football rankings come out tomorrow night for the first time this season. The college football playoff rankings. What are they going to look like in the top six? That's what they reveal in the first one. What are we going to see in the top six going into tomorrow night? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Dylan Gabriel, he got there, his throw to the end zone, incomplete, a generational win for Kansas, finally toppling Oklahoma. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That is a loss that probably takes Oklahoma out of the college football playoff contention. A big one in Kansas. I really hope Lance Leipold, by by the way, as an aside for a moment, stays at KU for the next few years. So that way, whenever Mizzou does play against Kansas again a couple of years down the road, that game's going to mean something, man. He is a really good football coach. Kansas is a good football program. To win that game with your backup quarterback who tried as hard as he possibly could to lose that one for them. Uh, remarkably impressive. KU's probably going to end up winning nine games this year. It's a hell of a season for a program that was left for dead as recently as a couple of seasons ago. Setting that aside for a moment, though, Alex, that loss is crushing for Oklahoma's college football playoff chances because they just don't have very many opp- opportunities in the Big 12 to get big wins to make up for it. The first college football playoff rankings will come out tomorrow night. Now, I don't think Oklahoma is going to be a part of the top six, but if you had to guess with how you've seen these teams kind of coming together, how would you put together your top six today? Well, I mean, I guess what is there five undefeated teams still? So you'd have them in there, which I mean, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio state, Florida state, Washington. Washington. Those are your five. I mean, I can't like continue to say that they're not going to be in it, but Ohio state just doesn't seem like a team that's in there. But when you're eight, no, uh, you kind of have to be in that conversation. So those, that final team has to be Oregon. It sure. has to be Oregon because I think those are definitively your six. And it's a matter of how they're constructed within the six. And, and I mean, I frankly would believe Oregon's above Michigan, even though Michigan's eight. No, I don't really No, Michigan is dominant. They have, but isn't their strength of schedule been the biggest They do concern? not have any yeah. top 25 wins, but their their sh- their smallest margin of victory was 24 points. So I guess that puts <laughs> them ahead of the beating pack. the crap out of everybody they go up against. So you're not going to drop Georgia down. You know what? So, so I guess it's probably set that way. So, Here's how I would have it. My my top six. I have Ohio State actually as number one. Now, I don't wow. know if they will do this or not, but Ohio State has wins at Notre Dame, which will be a big one. They're 12th in the AP poll. They'll probably be somewhere around there in the college football playoff poll as well. And they beat Penn State. Georgia's best wins so far this year are Kentucky and Florida. Now, Georgia, I think you can make a pretty strong argument, is a better team than Ohio State. And if Georgia wins this weekend, they will probably jump Ohio State. But if we're just looking at the resumes thus far and not taking into account what these programs have done in previous seasons, I think Ohio State, based on their resume thus far, should probably be ranked ahead of Georgia. The other team I think you can actually make a case for ahead of Georgia thus far is Florida State. Yeah. 
who has wins already this season over LSU and Duke, both of whom are in the top 25 rankings. And then I would have Michigan at number four. So for me, it's Ohio State, Georgia, number two, Florida State, three, Michigan, four, Washington, five, because the last two weeks they just not have not performed well. They have a better win than anybody else that we've talked about, but otherwise they have not performed well lately. And then I think Oregon would come in at six. So Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, Michigan, Washington, Oregon. That would be my top six personally. T-Bone? Uh, so I would have Michigan one just because I know they don't have the strength of schedule, but when you dominate teams like that, that's what Georgia has done in the past where you can look at Georgia and go, eh, they don't have that great a schedule, but they're winning 55 to seven. I mean, the most points given up. I mean, you mentioned their smallest margin of uh, victory. Uh, they've only given up 10 is the most they've given up in a game. And that was to Minnesota. So I would probably put them at one just because they're doing what they need to do and taking care of business. Then I would go Ohio State, too, because of the schedule. I mean, two top 10 wins at this point in the year is really impressive. Even though Notre Dame has fallen out of that mark, they, they've beaten both them and Penn State. And though they've looked ugly at times against not top 25 teams like Wisconsin this weekend, they're winning when they need to. So I would probably put them at two. I would actually then go Georgia three because I think Georgia's shown enough that in a big game, they bring their fastball with them. Florida State, I would probably put at five and Washington at four. Wow. Florida State at five. Yeah. I, I have not been as impressed with Florida State. I know the resume. I'm going off the eye test as well. I, I have not been as impressed with them. I, and part of that is because they've dealt with uh, – What's the why am I dropping off the quote? Travis? Yeah. His name? Jordan Travis. He dealt with injuries in some of those close games. Like when they almost lost to, I think it was Boston College. I think he exited that game. Um, and then Clemson, who's not a very good football team, they went down to the wire with Clemson. And if Clemson doesn't do bad coaching, they probably win that football game. So I would actually put Florida State at five. I've not been as impressed with them as I have been with Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan. I thought Washington over the first month of the season was the best team that I watched. They, they to me, looked clearly and definitively better than everybody else. And then they beat Oregon. And I was like, okay, clear-cut number one team in the country. You don't even have to have a conversation. The last two weeks, they've just looked disinterested. They've looked like a team that is just doing as little as possible to be able to win these games. And, I mean, they won them. So you got to give them credit for that. They came out with the wins, but beating Arizona State by eight last week, struggling to really get things done against Stanford and needing a little bit of help down the stretch to win that one. It's just kind of been weird. It's been clunky over the last couple of weeks. So uh, that's why I would have them at five. I, I think that the six, though, in any order are those six teams that we just mentioned. And then everybody else is battling for contention behind them. Mizzou's one of those teams. As crazy as it sounds, Missouri is very much still alive. On Saturday, Oklahoma losing was huge for the Tigers because that now means that that is a Big 12 team that could have been undefeated and might have kept a one-loss SEC champion out of the college football playoff. That is now set to the side. You don't have to worry about that possibility anymore. If Missouri wins out, they're going to the college football playoff. That's going to happen. But Missouri has to win out. And the first game to be able to do so is coming up on Saturday against Georgia. Guys, I have been the one that has been leading the charge on this Georgia team ain't as good as what they've been in previous years. Stop talking about what they were. Let's talk about what they are. Whoo, buddy. What they are is suddenly an explosive passing offense that has been able to keep track with what they did a year ago through the air. I didn't see that coming. I didn't anticipate Carson Beck having this in his bag. Now, it Remains to be seen if he can do that against Missouri. I think Mizzou is a better team than either Kentucky or Florida. That being said, those two teams are legitimate 
opponents that you can judge George on. And when they had to go out there and have a fastball, they had it available to them. They went out there and molly Kentucky. And then they came back last week in a rivalry game against Florida, neutral site. That was never in doubt. Never once was that in doubt. The entire game, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, Georgia came to play. They're the clear-cut winners. It's going to be incredibly difficult for Missouri to go out there and try to get done what we all want them to do on Saturday. Yeah, yeah good luck. You got to hope for for one of their bad games. And I, I just I was never impressed by Florida this season, so it makes sense that they go out there and just dominate the the Florida Gators. I think Mizzou is a better team than Florida, so Florida. it's where you look at that and you say it's competitive. But like you go back to that Auburn game that Georgia won, but it was only by seven points. That to me is like okay, that's the perfect scenario where you get a team on its off week where you're thinking okay, now we can take advantage of this opportunity. They already don't have their best playmaker with Bowers. That's where you strike, and that's the only way Mizzou is ever going to win. It's not like we believe that Mizzou was better than Georgia. There are certain areas of Mizzou that you look at and you say, yeah, they can outplay them because they've got a better offense right now, but you got to hope that they have a bad week that you pounce on. you got to be able to get a couple of turnovers. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, how, that's how it happened against Auburn. So there was an interception around midfield early in that game, and Auburn took advantage. Yep. Short field touchdown, go up 10 nothing early on. So you get on them early, you have a turnover that you're able to take advantage of. Then start out the second half, first play from the line of scrimmage, Georgia fumbles, Auburn scores there, boom, up 17 to 10. Now, they ended up losing. But that's how you make it happen. When do, do you guys have any guesses? I looked this up yesterday. The last time the number 1 team in the country lost at home the number one team in the in the AP poll lost at home was a win. How long ago? Oh, gosh, I can't think of it. I was going to say, I can't think of any. Well, so. Kansas, maybe, when they were number one? Not that far back. Was it Missouri? That, that was a neutral site field. <laughs> That's No, this is a BK game. <laughs> 2012. It was, was it? Johnny Manziel beating Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. And then it happened in back-to-back weeks, actually. Uh, Stanford ended up winning the next week over the number one team at the time. So it was back-to-back weeks in 2012. The number one team in the country lost at home. Since then, it has not happened. And it will. Continue. So you're thinking like I am that it's about to happen for the first time since 2012. Seven percent. That is the winning percentage of teams that are ranked number one in the country at home over the last 20 years. Ninety-seven percent. It it's incredibly rare for a team to do what Missouri is trying to accomplish this weekend. We all know what's going to happen, right? They're going to be in They're going to lead it until the fourth quarter, and then they're going to choke. They're going to get a fourth and one right around, like, the Georgia 40, and Drink's going to kick a field goal. Or he's going to come around and score. Or he's going to punt at, like, the 50-yard line and be like, ah, son of a... Somebody on the text line said, yeah, guys, Vegas has it as a 16-and-a-half-point line, which implies about a 13% chance to win. Is, is what that means. Vegas is saying 13%. The ESPN nerdy nerds have it as like a 17%. It's somewhere around a 15% chance. That's what most people are giving Missouri to win this weekend. Which means if you play this thing like seven times, Missouri wins one of them. And that's all you got to do. All right, You easy, just got to make Brooks. one of those seven times 16%. this time. Was that, was that a drink speech in the locker room before you go out there? That's right. Guys, we play this team 16 times. Can I win one? Seven. <laughs> Only seven. <laughs> For Alex and T-Bone on BK, we'll give you guys a chance to score a pair of tickets to see Blink-182 and wrap a bow on this thing next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
WDBK. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You can also check us out on YouTube as you can each and every day. YouTube.com slash 101ESPN. The studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Coming up here in about five minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to score a pair of tickets to see Blink-182 at Enterprise Center. That's coming up on August the 10th. We'll give you more details on that here in just a little bit. But Alex, we will finish today where we started the show, which is, whoo, buddy, these blues looked like hot garbage on Friday night. Am I wrong? Fall time garbage where it's not really hot out, but it smells a little bit. Alex, we gave them their flowers on Friday. They deserved it. They played really well against the Calgary Flames. And then on Friday night, they followed that up with the worst performance that we've seen from them by a wide margin so far this year. They looked completely disinterested in the game. From the very beginning, they had zero offense whatsoever. And most disappointing was that they also didn't prevent the shots from going back the other direction. The turnovers were there. The power play was bad. Nothing went particularly well other than the penalty kill on Friday night. This has become a bit of a trend where it's up and down, up and down, up and down so far. The only thing you could say that's consistent about the Blues is their lack of consistency. What have you learned so far through seven games about this team? That exactly what you said. They're they're too inconsistent for me to get excited about right now. And I mean, that game against Vancouver was the prototypical head dip game that Doug Armstrong talked about last year where... When something goes bad, everything falls apart. They were in that game after that first period, which is a positive thing to say that they were outshot 19-3 to and you were in that game. But the moment you gave up that first turnover breakaway goal, game was over. Game was over. Like It felt like the game was over in the first period, but second period opens up and you're thinking, man, they score here. You, you, take, back in you it. take the momentum back and Vancouver's a dejected team. But that first turnover happened. They scored. What happened after that, BK? Two minutes later, another turnover that resulted in a breakaway and they gave up another goal. And by that point, we got the prototypical Bennington where it's like you started to see shots get past them and you're like, wait a minute. Bennington usually makes those. But it felt like the moment where one side of the game was just like, well, this is a loss. And then everything else just kind of faded away from this team. That's a problem. And the fact that it was the second period and that's how you reacted to it, that's a problem. Yesterday felt a lot like a Bennington game from last year. And by that, I mean, he was not the problem. Yeah, no. he, he was he was not by no. any stretch of the amount. In fact, he was the only reason you were in the game going into that second period, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, Alex. And you talked about this a lot last year. And listen, I was a skeptic, but I, I do understand. Now you're the, a believer. No, I, I do understand You've the changed. alternate alternative facts, if you will, uh, where. Bennington had so many chances against that at some point the dam's going to break. Yeah. And you just look at him and you're like, Man, what the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah. And that's what it felt like on, on Friday night's game where he's just looking around like, guys, are you going to play at some point? Because mm-hmm. I've been over here standing on my head for 25 minutes. At some point, I need one person that second, to help me out. That second breakaway goal was that moment. That's that the one on the power play that was shorthanded where he just, the guy was, crew turned it over and he just skated right past him. That was the Bennington, like, you guys got to be kidding me. Like, I just, I just basically kept you in this game in the first period and this is how you reward me. And then once that happens, no life. And you can't get that back. So that's the problem right now. Like, you talk about trends at this point. The trend is this team might still be in that mental 
purgatory that they were last year. The, the thing that I'll be curious to see in the game against Colorado, not just one, do they bounce back because, man, they need to play a ton better. Yeah. But two, like that's the kind of game that would be the game that would set Bennington off the rails last year. To where it is, I'm doing everything I can. You yeah. guys aren't playing. What am I going to do? I'm going to try and provide the spark, and I'm going to get into the extracurricular activities. And that's when he started to snowball. That's when there were those stretches of games where it's like, okay, that's not the Bennington that we saw early on. So I'm fascinated to see how he responds, because I agree, it's not on him. That game was not on no. him. He and played I, well. I don't like doing the schedule game, because this team, it hasn't really mattered who they played against so far this year. It's about their game, not their opponent. Of but course. once you play against Colorado, and that 10-day or that ten day stretch, you've got Colorado, New Jersey, uh, Winnipeg, Arizona, and Colorado again. Whew, those are some high-powered offenses that you're going to potentially be going up against. Not potentially. That you are going to be going up against in a 10-day stretch. You have to be better because mm-hmm. if your offense doesn't get chances going in the other direction, you're going to be hemmed into your own zone the entire game, and it's going to look exactly like it did on Friday night against Vancouver. You can't win those games one nothing, two no. one. It's not capable. And that's you're why not capable you of it. and that's why you changed your lines now because now you're looking at the schedule. Before you were looking at it and saying, "Well, Thomas and Kyber can find a way to get going when we take on these teams." Now you've changed it and you said, "We've got to get more consistency in offensive possession moving forward." He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, text in three one four three nine 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 six four six for your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Blink-182. That is coming up on August 10th. You can also find a bonus chance to win by registering for tickets at 101ESPN.com or the 101 mobile app. Here is the question that you need to answer in order to win this pair of tickets. Earlier today, Alex gave Merrill Kelly a new nickname. What was the nickname that he gave to Merrill Kelly? It was a song. I'll give you that hint. If you can do that, you get in on the text line at 314-399-9646. You are going tickets, home I don't know. with a pair of tickets to see <laughs> really? Blink-182. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Jeremy Rutherford will join the show. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.